Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Sounds familiar. My name's Caleb, and good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun. My name's Stephanie, and when I sleep, my spirit slips away from my body and dances naked with the devil. Name's Justin, housewares. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. It's been it's been uh, a long time. Yeah. Uh, Don't know the exact. Uh, 524 hours, uh, 37 minutes, 28 seconds to be exact. Uh, I'm just kidding, I don't know that. Let me give let me give the cliff notes of uh, the reason we were on a break to our audience real quick. Uh, a hurricane, Hurricane Sally, uh, flooded my house uh, and kind of blew up my life for a little bit. Now here we are just over a month later, and we're good. Though so tonight I am riding the east side of Hurricane Zeta. As we record, so please bear with any technical issues, because nature might have it out for me. <laughs> I think it does at this point. Uh, <laughs> yes, statistically speaking, um, I mean, the whole reason you moved two years ago was a hurricane. Oh, and <laughs> look, man, we're here to talk about spooky stuff, not sad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Spooky scary skeletons raising from the grave. <sighs> But yeah, so um, we we did last week publish our last episode of the Disney Renaissance run, uh, Aladdin and Mulan. So our plan for this month was to do various um, Halloween-y pairings, uh, which we will still be doing a lot of those. Right, um, we, we didn't have any plans for November, Yeah. so we're just going to... Roll on through with October 2.0. Yeah. November 1st is officially October 32nd. It's Halloween 2. Spooky Boogaloo. Yeah. Um, uh, so we'll still be bringing some of those as the month continues. Yes, I would like to invite the audience to join me. Uh, the podcast is staying spooky in November, and I'm here for it. But also, I decided uh, halfway through this month that November is going to be classic dumb action movie month for me. Uh, so follow me on Twitter. <laughs> watch stuff like Rambo, Terminator 1 and 2, all of the classic dumb movies. <laughs> Alright, hell yeah. I'm about it. We should do uh, a couple of those sometime on here as like a pairing. It might be difficult to pick which ones though. There's there's a lot to choose from. Yeah. <laughs> that well uh, is not maybe shallow. You'll have, maybe you'll have some opinions on that like after you've watched them and you can suggest like maybe two that would work pretty well together. Um, Sounds good. But for now, spooky! <laughs> right. Yeah. We do not have pairings tonight. This is ju- We're easing back into it, so each of us picked a single movie to watch, and we're just going to kind of casually go over and discuss. Yeah. This is just freewheeling conversation about Halloween-y movies that we like. Yeah. So... Yeah, we... They're all different, kind of. Like, the only thing that they really have strongly in common is that they are generally kind of spooky i guess if the, <laughs> uh, spooky things yeah. 
if the witch had skeletons, it'd be perfect. Perfect pairing. Skeleton witches. Oh my god. That's true. There are skeletons in the other two. Um, yeah, but they're all like different forms of spookiness that, mm-hmm. that we tend to be fans of individually. So that'll be fun to discuss. Um, we're probably not going to go beat by beat through the plot as much as we do oftentimes with our other pairings. Um, so, you know, may God have mercy on your soul if you haven't seen these movies. I'm just kidding. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, but we are going to talk about them in slightly more broad strokes so as not to, to make this episode five hours long. So I'll right, get things Justin. going. Uh, yes. Yep, I will get things going right off the bat with uh, my pick uh, for the week, mm. which was Army of Darkness. Uh, this is from one of my favorite series of all time. Uh to level with the audience, I did want to do Evil Dead 2, but for the sake of one of our unnamed co-hosts, I <laughs> chose I Army of Darkness. Who that could be. Uh, Might be the same one who didn't watch The Witch. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb Justin, why don't, you, uh, why, don't you, why don't you hit us with that plot synopsis? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so Evil, Evil Dead 2 uh, changed, in my opinion, and society's opinion i guess uh kind of changed the landscape for horror uh was the first really uh big horror comedy like obviously horror comedy has been a thing since abbott and costello met uh, meet frankenstein um (laughs) so army of darkness kept all of the camp all of the humor uh but instead of going full horror they went big adventure movie with one-liners uh ash is kind of a homage slash parody of every action movie hero uh and we love him for it bruce campbell is uh-huh. uh, a national treasure and can do no wrong <laughs> second uh so i saw this movie for the first time when i was like 13 or 14 um it was around the same time I found uh, a lot of these things. As a matter of fact, I saw the uh, saw Corpse Bride right around the same time uh, too. Uh, it practically the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, it was a. I was just starting to get into like horror and Tim Burton as you do as a teenager. Um, so seeing Evil Dead Two. Um, I have a tweet from a few days ago that says uh, I saw Evil Dead 2 and uh, Dead Alive, Peter Jackson's first movie, uh, on the same day, and I don't think I'll ever have a film experience uh, like that again. Um, just what what it did to my brain. So I instantly needed to see the, uh, the sequel to Evil Dead 2, so uh, my friend's parents actually had a VHS of Army of Darkness. Um, so I've watched it, and I watch it about once every two or so years uh, since I was 13. I love these movies. I have never seen any of the Evil Dead movies. Shocker. Go figure. Um, (laughs) Army of Darkness was a good call on Justin's part. Um, I can handle more than Army of Darkness. This was... I have no idea why this movie was rated R. Yeah. They they even only used the one F-bomb, like it's a PG-13 movie. Yeah. Um, But, uh... I don't I don't know if I could handle Evil Dead 1 or 2 or the remake. I don't know if I could handle Evil Dead 1 or 2. I or if I want to. I'm going to say Caleb no 
Stephanie, I want to get really drunk in what people did to you. <laughs> I feel like that live tweet will be priceless. <laughs> oh, if there if there is Stephanie was that the vocal version of live tweeting Army of Darkness while oh, we were yeah, walking. Oh yeah, I had it. jokes. I, I had she jokes. She was just spouting them off one after the and other. And you know how many Caleb laughed at? Maybe like one or two. I was trying. I was in, in the movie, you know. I was I was I was meeting it on its level. I was taking it all in. You know what its level is? A movie that you make jokes about. That's that's its level. Oh, sorry. Our our pup is sneezing very aggressively in the background. Oh, don't cut those. They're adorable. Oh, he makes a really you funny face when he boy. does it too. Like he scrunches his face up. He's like. Yeah. He is officially our unofficial mascot. So. Yeah. He is. <laughs> Apollo. This sounds familiar. Dog. Hey, sweet boy. Did you get something in your nose, baby? And he's like, yeah, I'm allergic to bad movies. I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> anyway. Stephanie's never seen any of these either, right? Uh, no, I, I have not. I have not seen Evil Dead, nor the Evil Dead remake, nor Evil Dead 2, nor Evil Dead 3, colon, Army of Darkness. I know it's I'm actually called that, but... There's um, also the remake, which is very good. The remake of... Uh, the Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, I heard that that one was, like, Evil Dead, but, like, less campy and more serious. And, like, that sounds even worse. I don't want to see that. <laughs> it's just, like, there's some camp to it, but not, like, this is fun and funny camp. It's, like, oh, these terrible, terrible, violent things are happening, and it's the camera's not cutting, and oh, my um, God. No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Army of Darkness cut at every conceivable moment. That's true. Moment. I was kind of surprised by that. So uh, like, obviously the most famous image of Ash uh, is him on the poster of this movie with the chainsaw hand and uh, Sheila on his leg um, and he has the chainsaw for only the first like, I cannot tell you. Three Justin, minutes. Thank you for bringing that up because as I said in my Letterboxd review uh the poster was the only part of the movie I was actively looking forward to. I was like, okay, this is high camp. I need to see this on screen. Like this entire tableau. And you know what never showed up in the movie? Anything like that. Yeah, but to be fair, that didn't happen in Star Wars either. Yeah, and Star Wars suffered for that. It should have had that in it. Uh, I, I will not back down on this. So, no, I, I do not disagree with you. Um, specifically the chainsaw hand uh that is mostly an evil dead 2 thing they just straight up get rid of it after that uh pit fight in this movie yeah, it doesn't even come back in the big climactic battle like no just... and the only thing his like super robot hand does is it like he catches a sword at the last fight like mm -hmm. and that, that's it. It, it there's a there's a whole suit up like forging the hand sequence and then that's all he does is grabs a sword it, it serves to be there to do another him putting something on his arm and saying groovy thing from Evil Dead 2. <laughs> <laughs> Which so I'm so here you're for saying it. the the shallow meaningless homage existed long before the 2010s. Uh yes. <laughs> Sam Raimi's calling card. <laughs> mm. Uh so I guess we'll dive right into the plot synopsis. Uh this picks up right after Evil Dead 2 um where he is thrown into the past uh oldsmobile and all um now it's interesting the end of evil dead 2 
spoilers, um, when he lands in the past, he's actually instantly worshipped as a hero. I guess they didn't know that number three was going to be, like, guaranteed. Um, which, there's tons of videos about the series you can look up, so I'm just going to give it really quick. Um, uh, Army of Darkness was end game for Sam Raimi after the first one. Uh, he was like, what if this one guy goes through this terrible, terrible horror experience, gets thrown into another world, and then doesn't get a break? Just bad shit keeps happening to this guy. Like, uh, so Army he was of prepared was to write Spider Man. Yes. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, the movie picks up. He's there uh, in the past. Um, it changes the ending of Evil Dead 2. Instead of being worshipped, he is instantly captured because the dickish Sir Arthur. Now I got something to say about this. Okay. <laughs> okay. I hate this trope. Okay. Why is it that when people are transported to the past, they are always instantly surrounded and apprehended? <laughs> okay, it's 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 Stephanie pointed out, it's like um what was it? It's like when Abed says that, you know, you wouldn't always tune into the most pertinent uh, point in a broadcast. <laughs> yeah. Like in a horror movie. <laughs> like, I, it's unrealistic. Though. It's unrealistic. I'm sorry. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, he should be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm with you, but again, this movie is all about, like, what tropes can we throw in there? And then they do. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's... I think for this kind of ridiculous, over-the-top, obviously not taking itself seriously movie, I think it's fine. No, no, I get it. Mo- movie's got a movie. It's yeah, only an yeah. hour and a half long. Yeah. But I still I hate that trope. I do. Okay. So, as you mentioned, we meet, we meet King Arthur, um, who calls over his wise man to yes. try and figure out what Ash's deal is, and then immediately ignores his wise man's counsel. What was the point in calling him over? <laughs> <laughs> wise man come here so i can dismiss your point of view <laughs> i need someone to be a dick to and, you and that wise man was just like here's some exposition as to why ash is important to this movie <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and king arthur said hmm seems suspect throw him in the hole <laughs> uh so i i do love i do love when the uh the knights are poking at the old oldsmobile and they're like what sort of armor is this <laughs> <laughs> they're just swinging their swords joke. at it for no reason one of many, many, many dumb jokes that I'm a fan of this movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so, the pit. So, he fell in the pit. Well, I didn't make... I, Stephanie wrote, like, at least a full page about this movie. I didn't make write any notes between uh, King Arthur ignoring the wise man when Ash first shows up in the past and um, after Ash grabs Necronomicon and the gravestones start exploding everywhere. There were no <laughs> notes between there. I'm sure it's like a solid... It's because you were enthralled. I mean, I, I didn't look away. <laughs> uh, so, um, before we get to the pit, he's dragged through um, the kingdom uh, and is spit on by all these people. This is where we meet our heroine of the film, Sheila. Sheila. Quote, unquote, hero. I'm doing uh, giant finger quotes here. So the way the way Ash's love interests are named kills me. You have a Linda and a Sheila. And Sheila is in 1300s. I, was that a popular name in the I 1300s? I said the same thing. I was like, I just don't know. Struth. 
Yeah, I don't know why they couldn't have just called her freaking Gwynevane or something. Yeah, I don't uh, think Sheila was a name then. So Arthur tells Sheila that her brother was killed in battle. Uh, Ash is the first guy in line, so she puts all of that anger on him, starts pulling his hair, slapping him, spitting on him. The like. Uh, then someone is thrown into this pit. Uh, someone from King Henry's side. Yeah. We get the one blood flood in this movie. Uh, this is the only blood you really see at all. So we're, first we're talking a movie where multiple people get shot with shotguns at close range. And uh, okay, every time someone gets shot with a shotgun in this movie, there is no visible change to them, with the exception <laughs> of when Evil Ash gets shot in the face. That's uh, it. <laughs> so they even they even tone this movie down to the point of removing the blood from the flashback clip where he cuts his hand off. That yeah, scene yeah. in Evil Dead 2 is bloody. It's yeah. everywhere. No, this movie cuts every possible moment. I don't know if they had no budget so they couldn't afford the gross special <laughs> effects. That's actually something I wanted to talk about. Thank you, Caleb. <laughs> uh, to give you an idea of the budget this movie had with the scope it had, uh, the same year Wayne's World came out and had almost twice the budget of Army of Darkness. Oh, wow. Woof. This movie, seen, but... this uh, comedic action adventure, quote unquote, epic, had a budget of ten million dollars. <laughs> so they had to cut some corners. Oh, uh, that would explain why, like, every time something gets hit with a chainsaw, the camera cuts. Mm-hmm. Like, we, I'm not complaining. We, we couldn't afford what? it. It kept the spirit of the other Evil Dead movies, which were made for like hot dogs. <laughs> What? To be enjoyed with hot dogs, Stephanie. Oh, Come on, I keep up. Like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not what he props? meant at all. No. They, they had they had no budget for Evil Dead One and Two, um, so ten million for them was like eight. Anyway, yeah. so uh, someone gets thrown into the pit, blood spray. Uh, everyone's terrified. Someone from King Henry's men manages to break from the prisoner line and runs. This is where we get one of, I think, three famous Sam Raimi. Uh, here's the demon slash thing that's trying to kill you point of view shot where uh, King Arthur shoots an arrow and we see the arrow's point of view as it shoots the guy. Um, that happens a lot in these movies. Uh, every time a demon is about to possess somebody in the other evil deads, it's from the camera's perspective. Like, so that's a, a lot of that. So that's a thing throughout the whole series. Yes. It, the danger's point of view, I call it, is... Uh, what you do which it's just someone literally holding a camera running forward (laughs) right uh so they throw ash in uh he's getting his ass kicked in the pit Mm -hmm. (laughs) before before ash gets thrown in i love this is one of my favorite lines in the movie because it's so stupid uh arthur is yelling at henry about how terrible a person he is why they're at war blah 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 when Henry breaks free of the line and he runs over to Arthur just yelling, Charlatan! It kills me every <laughs> time. That That's line what kills you. remember that part. That's the line? <laughs> it was, it's more Shakespearean. <laughs> it's so fu- It feels so out of place. Anyway, Ash in the pit, getting his ass kicked, fighting a deadite. Uh, he is then thrown the chainsaw by the elder, uh, wise man, whatever you want to call him. Kills the deadite. Oh, surprise, there's another deadite in there. Kills that one too, gets out. Uh, this is the famous 
this is my boomstick moment. This is my boomstick speech. Uh, does that, shoots the demon again. Everyone thinks he's a badass. Uh, he's then <laughs> taken into the castle uh, and has a series of winches feeding him grapes. Of course. <laughs> As you do. Um, there's another deadite in the castle. He kills that one too. The wise man tells him of the Necronomicon that he needs to go get it. Uh, he is the chosen one. He's the only one who can quest for it. And Ash refuses. Very, very obvious refusal of the call here for you Campbellian folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after thinking about it and some convincing from Sheila, I he sets off to laid. his quest. Yes. <laughs> Give me some sugar, that? baby. Uh, yes, she references it later. My eyes completely glazed over. No, there. it didn't show anything, they, but she references it later. Mm-hmm. You so, don't remember that? That was just pillow talk, baby. I don't. I gen. <laughs> I genuinely did not remember what happened after the f- fucking sugar baby line. I Enemies to lovers in the first twenty minutes. No, no. <laughs> oh, no, that's, what you, that's no. what you call efficiency. No, I don't accept. I don't. This is an efficient that. screenplay. <laughs> No. Boom, nothing unnecessary. Mm-mm. No fat. No. Uh, all no, filler. No fat. Uh, okay. <laughs> no sizzle, all steak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't even know what that uh, saying means. Let's move on. Neither. I don't like it. Uh, so anyway, uh, Ash sets out being very clear that he's going to go get the stupid book. When he comes back, they're going to send him home. The, uh, the wise man gives him three words he must say before he removes the Necronomicon from its pedestal. Klaatu Barata Nikto. Yeah, what's uh, up with a, the Day the Earth Stood Still reference? I don't know. I think Sam Raimi was just a fan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why not? Uh, Ash is Ash, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. And he sets out to his quest, um, and he spends his first night uh, in a, 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 a windmill. That's what I'm looking this for. This freaking scene... And I love, I love how this scene starts uh, because he's warming up by a fire and he's warming up the metal hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, then this is the first time and really the only time, well, I guess with the book scene, but uh, the evil in these movies, uh, the evil spirits or whatever you want to call them, um, in Evil Dead 2... They really, like, they fuck with Ash. Like, they possess a moose head on the wall, and the moose head laughs at him. Like, the furniture starts dancing to mock him. Uh, So this is the first time we see the evil really being, like, a dick. Like, other than being evil, like, just being (laughs) kind of a fucking with you asshole. Uh, And Ash sees himself in the mirror. He recognizes that it looks like his reflection, but it's not. He's seen this before in the second movie. Oh, uh, see, that would have been helpful information I for us. I did not know that, yeah. Yeah, uh, he, he fights a mirror self in the second movie. Uh, oh, so the so evil Campbellian. learned. So he learned, he destroyed the mirror, but then the evil adapted. Yeah, so a bunch of tiny little ashes <laughs> come out. A bunch of tiny we get little the assholes. Most, yeah. We get the most three stooges. No, uh, no. No, no, the most three stooges comes later. Oh, oh with the skeletons. You're right, you're right. Uh, <laughs> So he has this very comedic battle with all of these little guys, uh, and eventually they tie, knock him out, tie him down. One Elvis hops into his style. mouth. Yeah. 
and I don't like the eyeball shoulder. Yeah. So the one that goes into his mouth, Ash tries to get out by drinking boiling water. Stephanie uh, didn't. Stephanie had did serious logistical problems. Okay, with because that the part. thing about that is, if you pour boiling water down your throat, it's not gonna hurt the little man in your stomach as much as that hurts you because you're drinking boiling water like think about it that guy's just getting some boiling water poured on the top of his head where he at least has the protection of hair you are pouring boiling water down your throat and into your vital organs this is a guy who's already cut off his own hand and ah. replaced it with a chainsaw and it presumably worked. in the last 48 hours like so uh. oh no so he's like He's just done with it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he really seems like a guy who's grieving and severely traumatized. (laughs) He's too cool for that, baby. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Uh, So he thinks he killed it. He doesn't. Uh, Then we get the eye shoulder, which for me is the grossest shot in the movie. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But I don't know. That and maybe one of the shots of Evil Ash's grotesque face in, in, in the final scene. Um... So, speaking of evil Ash, this eye shoulder is actually another Ash growing and being birthed out of Ash's shoulder. Uh, they separate. They have a little fight. Um, I, It's so stupid, but I love evil Ash's little goody two-shoes thing as he's, like, mocking Ash and punching him. It's so stupid, but I love it. Uh, but this is where we get Caleb's line. Caleb, what was that again? Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. And he shoots Evil Ash, chops him up with a chainsaw, buries him. The day is won. He continues his quest, uh, goes gets the Necronomicon, which is where we get more okay. silliness with the This is where I have, I have multiple notes about this scene. Okay, one. Go ahead. Exploding gravestones. That's new. That's not something I've seen before. I liked that. It was a neat effect. <laughs> Then a bunch of skeleton hands come up out of the ground and apprehend Ash and proceed to pull every single Three Stooges gag in the book for several minutes. Ash is laying on the ground. The camera does not cut and he's being poked in the eye and slapped and bonked by skeletons for several uncut minutes. I believe that scene is that long because Sam Raimi loves to torture Bruce Campbell, so they're just like, yeah, slap him with the skeleton hands. <laughs> <laughs> they do the, the the two fingers in the eye, the, oh, I caught it with my other hand, and then, the you know, they do both hands to poke him, and it's every single Three Stooges trick in the book. Um, uh, sure does so, Right before that, he goes through one book, one book sucks him in, we get that very weird claymation face... Yeah. It's very Beetlejuice uh, stretching yes. the faces. Uh, the second book bites him uh, and keeps like flying at him like it's a bat. Uh, that book is voiced by Bob Bergen, the voice of Porky Pig. <laughs> <laughs> the current voice of Porky Pig. Was he vo- the voice of Porky Pig in 92? Uh, I don't know how old he is. <laughs> I don't I don't know if he started doing it like from Space Jam forward or a little before Space Jam. If that's the case, he was already Porky Pig at this point. Well, if he did um, it in Space Jam, the timeline's close enough, I'll buy it. All right, moving yeah. on. Uh, so anyway, he gets the right book. Uh, what caused all of the skeleton madness is he didn't say the words. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this, scene, hard. I... this scene was pretty funny. Oh, 
Oh, my <laughs> God. It was like, okay. <laughs> you remember Klaatu Barada, but he forgot Nick too. He couldn't he remember like, the, the He N-word. knew it was an N-word. <laughs> and he's looking left and right. <laughs> like he's gonna have to say the N-word. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell how intentional that was because he's always making these ridiculous facial expressions. I couldn't tell if I was like reading that into it. But he almost seemed like he was like, oh no, god, it's not. He literally, <laughs> like he's all alone and he goes, no, no. <laughs> it's very- I thought okay, that was a pretty, that was a pretty funny scene. I'll I'll give I, that scene credit. I I didn't I didn't get that reading of it until uh, this is actually this viewing was my second one this year. I watched it when I was really sad <laughs> earlier in the month. Uh, until this last watching, and I was trying to like put in my mind what you guys were thinking because <laughs> we were kind of watching it together, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's you why. Didn't get it for that's, well, but that's the thing. I feel like it may not have been intentional, and we might have been projecting that particular joke onto it because it almost felt too subtle for the movie. Oh no! I feel like when someone I, says it's an n-word, I know it's an I, n-word, yes, and then he starts I, looking around. I'm like, mm. when you say "quote unquote" n-word, most people go. Um. But did they in the '90s? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I wasn't know. alive in 1992. No, neither was I. Well, I mean, I was the a babe. Thing- yeah, Justin was. What were things like when you were one year old? Please tell uh, us. Do you remember how racist America was approximately at the time? Probably pretty uh, racist. I remember things being very uh, wet. It was my diaper. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. That really tells us a lot about the state of race relations in America. Um, no, but the thing is, when he does the coughing thing, when he's like the, <laughs> I I read that more as he didn't know what the word he was supposed to say was, so he thought if he just said flubbed it, yeah, yeah, if he just like made it unclear. No, I agree with you. With I think that's also it. I think it's just doing two things at okay. once. Maybe, maybe it it, uh, it was an amusing scene to be sure. Um, <laughs> but then of course. I, he doesn't say it, so I the, space the, the evil pops out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, skeletons, army of darkness awakes. Uh, he makes it back to the castle. King Arthur has a mullet for some reason. <laughs> um, it's hideous and stupid. Um, the skeletons have big Muppet energy. Yes. God, I, I love the skeletons in this movie so much. <laughs> They Welcome also, to the, the land of the living. Now get digging. <laughs> <laughs> the the scenes where they're stop motion and they're not puppets, it's they look they look like stop motion that's twenty years older than it is. Yes. They look like Clash of the Titans from the seventies level of the stop motion. That was the and 80s, I kinda like latest, it. But... Was it the eighties? Was it nineteen eighty? It was like nineteen eighty one. Well ten years uh, older. Yeah. Either way, I kinda like it. Yeah, the the effects in this movie, you can tell how big of a budget they had. Those tiny ashes fighting regular ash, that superimposition looks awful. The winged monster we're about to see looks awful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, from here, like, evil ash rises from the grave. I live again. (laughs) Uh, To lead the army of darkness... Um, to go, I don't know, kill people because that's what they do. They just have to. They, they just, they just have to do it. And Ash wants to go souls. home, 
but they won't they don't think he's a hero anymore because he didn't say the words and so now he has to lead them in battle against the army of darkness well Um, he was gonna leave uh he wanted to leave he was still gonna leave sheila gave him grief about it that's where we get the it was just pillow talk baby line so we can cop out of having emotions classic Mm. ash uh and then she is instantly captured by a Power Rangers villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this makes Ash be like, hey, maybe I'm being a dick. I'll maybe. help him out. Then we get uh, a uncomfortable, rapey, evil Ash and Sheila scene. Yeah, that was fun. That was great. And then a, uh, I'm teaching these people that I'm completely unqualified to teach how to fight and do science montage. <laughs> Why were they, why was he doing a bow staff fighting montage like it's freaking Mulan? Like, I, I love that they did that, and then in the scene later they do that exact motion. Yes, <laughs> to like start the fight. It's so funny. Uh, so fun fact that I think you guys are gonna enjoy: the reason why Ash has a chemistry book in his uh car mm-hmm. is because he is in college. Keep in mind. <laughs> Keep in mind, this movie came out 20 years, almost 20 years after the first movie, and it's supposed to take place over, like, a day. So Bruce Campbell has when, aged When did so Evil much. Dead come out? Uh, the first Evil Dead came out, like, late 70s. Oh. I Evil Dead 2 came out, like, early to mid-80s, and then this came out early 90s. So he's and a, it's a college student. Yes, Ash, he's... <laughs> Ash sure. is a college student. That makes like, more sense why he works in a in a grocery store. 81. It's only been 11 years. Okay. Since Evil Dead 1? Yes. Okay. Real time. He's still one. clearly a man in his 30s. In C-17? But... Holy crap. I'm never watching this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so that's why he has a chemistry book. He teaches them how to make gunpowder. Um, they make a Mad Max car. A ye old Mad Max car out of the Oldsmobile. <laughs> ye old. Uh, fun fact about that Oldsmobile, uh, that has been in every Sam Raimi movie since the first Evil Dead. It is Uncle Ben's car in the Spider-Man movies. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, huh. Sam Raimi loves that car. I believe it's speculated it's the car he lost his virginity in and he's being a weirdo about it, but it's in all of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> a man to do some shit like that. <laughs> we, we've all got our own special things that <laughs> And Oldsmobiles are his. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's, no, we it, should it, power it's through just, this. It's not just the same model of Oldsmobile. It is the same Oldsmobile. <laughs> oh, no, man. He probably has never cleaned it either. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, okay, we should power through this battle sequence. Okay, yes. Uh, Evil Ash and his army shows up. Um, They start kicking each other's asses. Um, Ash brings out the car. Uh, The car is then, which is very effective, he then sees Sheila in human form. Classic Deadite trick that happens all the time uh, in the first and second movie. That's how he knew the old lady at the beginning. It was a trick that she hadn't actually died. Um, So he sees Sheila. He's like, oh, can't kill her. Rex's car, she's evil. Uh, big fight, big fight, big fight, big fight. Uh, then finally it comes down to 
Ash and Evil Ash um, fighting with swords again instead of the chainsaw. Ash just is an expert sword fighter. <laughs> why not? <laughs> because just why not? Um, get into a big sword fight. Uh, he sets Evil Ash on fire. Evil Ash comes back as a skeleton with the another good cheesy line with the I've got a bone to pick with you as he comes back to the skeleton I'm like just every joke you could have done you did and I appreciate it uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. he throws Ash off the side of the castle uh, Ash realizes that there's a bag of gunpowder on a catapult there Evil Ash jumps down with the Necronomicon to talk shit because despite being a demon warlord he is still Ash, so he's going to be very braggadocious about it. Mm. Uh, Ash then chops Evil Ash's hand off, gets the book, cuts the cord, sends him flying. Big firework explosion. Good guys win. The day is saved. <laughs> um, yes. Wow. That that was that was pretty. That was pretty compelling. Uh, yep. Guys say. <laughs> so then the movie ends with him back in his time. Uh, at S-Mart regaling uh, Ted Raimi <laughs> with the no story way. of what happened in the movie. He's disinterested. Um, tells him that he was offered to be king and declined. Uh, then there's a woman in the store who says she thought the story was cute. Some rando. Then it's revealed that he re uh, said the words wrong again. So <laughs> deadites are still in the present. Uh, he oh. kills this deadite woman in the store. Uh... Kisses her. Hail to the king, baby. Credits. <laughs> Cinema. <laughs> I, 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 wrote, I had another note to make about this movie today uh, when I got home. And that was, um, on second thought, let us not go to Camelot. It is a silly place. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just was. brief mention of the ending that Sam, uh, Sam Raimi wanted to put in it, but the studios made him change it. Um is that Ash said the words wrong way, way, way overslept uh, in his magic slumber that was supposed to get him back in his own time, wakes up, and human civilization has crumbled. So. <laughs> but what would be the point of that ending? <laughs> <laughs> to just show that Ash doesn't get a break. <laughs> would, then, would there then be a, another sequel that's like a post-apocalyptic dystopia, Evil Dead... This one will be really Mad Max with zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I'm glad that the studio made them change it because that was uh, allowed us to get Ash vs. Evil Dead in 2016, which oh I binged all of in my uh, post-hurricane life without internet. I have the DVD set, and it's fantastic. Is it? Yes. <laughs> <That's> fun. <laughs> um, anyway, so we have two more movies to talk about. So real quickly, any final thoughts about Army of Darkness? I have none. It is a movie. It is enjoyable. <laughs> it it had that same energy of other nineties parody type movies. Like like I said, Bill and Ted with with chainsaws. It's <laughs> uh, I guess they were it, I guess that was around the time they were just starting to broach that idea of like what if we do like these old-timey medieval movies, but we make fun of them, I guess. So, um, 
which took off a little more in the next de decade. But, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, my inclination is to call it horror comedy because I'm trying, I'm kind of trying to figure out the subgenres in into which the movies we're talking about tonight fit. Um, I don't know. It's like, it has some horror aesthetics, but it doesn't really have horror it is not a horror Elements? movie by any means. Yeah. No, not at all. Uh, uh, it's, but it's also not quite. It also has enough of the aesthetics and like the the creepy crawly stuff that it kind of has to kind of fit into the genre a little bit. Mm. You know, so I think both both this one and Corpse Bride are very horror tangential, as in like they have a few of those like spooky elements, but. You definitely couldn't call either of them horror movies, maybe. No, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, even all three of the movies we're talking about, like, um, The Witch isn't a horror movie by, like, what most people would think of. The Witch yeah. is just, like, dread. It's it's like a <laughs> drama. Like, yeah. horror drama. I don't know. Psychological Whatever the thriller. scale is. Whatever the scale is, The Witch and Army of Darkness are on opposite ends. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. My final thoughts on this movie, I love this series. Um, I don't, I can't speak to what it's like watching it without watching at least Evil Dead 2. A little um, jarring. A little jarring, that's fair. <laughs> uh, if you think you can handle gore uh, mm. and a lot of people being possessed... Give people Dead 2 a try, then watch this. If not, just watch this. Have a stupid good time. Just get drunk, eat popcorn. We did do whatever, that. Whatever, have fun. <laughs> All right. So, I yeah. love this movie. Moving on. Our next movie up on the block is Tim Burton's smash hit from yeah. 2005. <laughs> Nobody can argue with me on that point. Uh, Corpse Bride. One of my favorite Tim Burton movies. I actually was talking to uh, Heather, my girlfriend, for the audience that doesn't know, um, uh, about this earlier, and I said, while I recognize that Nightmare Before Christmas is more iconic, uh, and by the way, this is only my second time watching this movie, uh, on this rewatch, I was like, this movie might be more rewatchable than Nightmare Before Christmas for me. Yeah, I... It actually has a story. Yeah. I, li I like this more than Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas, the iconography is memorable, and I, I love the music, but I just don't really care about any of the characters or the plot in, in Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, it tries to get most of its emotional throughline from Sally, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But... No one's giving her much in return. Right, she's just kind of there caring about things. Yeah. Like, Sally is to Nightmare Before Christmas what, like, Katara is in that episode with the Ember Island players. Yeah. She's just so filled with emotion all the time, you know? Um, whereas, yeah. like, and Emily... Jack is just there being a dork. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's completely spaced on other stuff, and she's just like, if only Jack knew. Right, and then he realizes, like, at the last moment, like, oh, Sally, and then, like... Okay, I'm Jack and Sally's quote-unquote romantic arc, uh, so-called, 
is about as satisfying as the romantic arc in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood in that, like, you know these two characters, like, are gonna end up together, but it, then, like, you get nothing until, like, the epilogue, and you get a scre- single screenshot of, like, them with their family. Like, th- what? Yeah. That was, that was nothing. That's kind of frustrating <laughs> when that happens. There was one person flirting and the other ignoring them for 64 episodes, and then we're told they live happily ever after. Yeah. Give me the Ed and Winry starting their family sitcom spinoff, please. Yeah! <laughs> I would watch that like ten episode miniseries. Anyway, that's not the point. Um. Well, it's so that yeah, that kind of brings us to like one interesting aspect of Corpse Bride that differentiates it from the other two is it's like a gothic romantic comedy with music. Right. This isn't just about one man's obsession. This is explicitly about the romance. Right. This is about a love triangle, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to. You know, Nightmare Before Christmas could be called Jack's Obsession, which, for those who don't know, is the name of a song in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, it's 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 at the forefront. That's what it's about. It's about these three people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I like they this all... one. It's very, like, classic Victorian story, mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, like, we did make fun of it a little bit because it's, like, <laughs> the whole, like, Victorian society is oppressive thing is like really really hammered. Yeah, it's like oh, that's a fresh one, but but you know for for the purposes of the story it works fine. Um, uh, I love that it's set in the Victorian era and two of the main characters are Victor and Victoria. <laughs> see, see what I mean? Whoa. A little on the nose. Which kind of makes me think they were twins separated at birth, but we, we won't think about that. This whole movie is the definition of on the nose, but it's like yeah. a quote-unquote kids movie, so... Yeah, this is I'll probably the only one in this trio that is even remote, remotely appropriate for children. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, but... So, right off the bat, we've got a beautiful score from Danny Elfman, no surprise there. Um, we have Tim Burton's most hideous and disgusting and malformed humans yet they, like, they are ugly as i pain. love <laughs> the designs in this movie the monsters the people ever it, it is tim burton just like at his tim burtoniest and oh my yeah, god the it. designs are good they are very uh i don't know they're very lively very extreme very caricature. extreme is a very good way to yeah, describe it yeah um so all of like the the designs of the characters okay so we have victor and victoria victor's parents are uh according to Victoria's parents, nouveau riche. So they're the new rich. Um, and Victoria's the, the parents are aristocracy, stuff. but they're penniless. Um, <clears throat> so they're hoping that this marriage between Victor and Victoria will, you know, get their family out of the poorhouse. Um, and Victoria's parents look like an evil version of Gomez and Morticia. Except, like, mostly except, the sizes. <laughs> mostly the sizes, right? Her dad looks like a literal, actual toad. Yes, he does. Um, and her mom is, is just a uh, giant chinned Morticia with a beehive. Yeah, um, the giant. I love the way, uh, the way her dad walks. His head almost stays stationary, but his body does but, like yeah, a the, the, Yeah, he grabs his lapels <laughs> constantly. Um, uh, giving it. an audio description because Justin did that over the video. Um, <laughs> and then Victor's parents are the opposite and that her da- his dad is 
a, a small old man and his mother is a, a large rambunctious woman they're both lively and colorful and victoria's parents are oh my believably <laughs> yeah they're like extreme victorian characters um and the world is dark and gray and gloomy and there is no joy in the town crier is shaped like a bell the town crier is in fact shaped like the bell in which he rings yeah not in which but love it. that he rings yeah it's yeah. not inside of i love i love the uh the juxtaposition where like our world quote unquote is very drab and gray and depressing and the underworld or afterlife whatever you want to call it it's very colorful yeah that and was that, a strong uh, choice that I is a consistent yeah. theme throughout this whole movie yeah mm-hmm. um that was that was a good one the, yes and the the opening song which explains everything we just explained that victor and victoria are set to be betrothed uh, Victor's parents are excited because they they think like they're getting accepted into higher society finally, and Victoria's parents explain that you know they're poor, they're destitute and they need this marriage, um, and it's rather long, it's several minutes long. Um, I mean, I'm not complaining. It's just interesting to like, it's a rather long song for a, for a, a Disney-esque. I was not musical there for the song, in so which I was taking Apollo out, but yes, <laughs> Disney esque musical in that like there's only like five songs mm-hmm. at most. That's true. Know. There aren't that many songs. Um, I always forget actually, that this a musical. Is there a song after um, uh, Emily has her like lament with yes. the weird Peter Laurie warm? There's yes. one more song after that. The last song is <laughs> the about song. is the wedding song. Yeah, when, oh, talking okay. about- when the dead are say we're going upstairs, blah blah blah. We're that's a wedding, right. a wedding. Right. We're going to have a wedding. But then there um, isn't one right. after that. Right. So Victor and his parents show up at Victoria's parents' house for the uh, to practice their vows. Um, and Victor shows us that he is a sensitive boy who can play the piano. Tm. He's a good boy. I like him. <laughs> that's exactly what I look for in a man: a really scrawny frame and huge bug eyes and looks like he's already dead yeah if his hair was shoulder length stephanie would leave me for him i i already like um, his hair it's pretty good i'll, I'll settle <laughs> i'll settle for the hair uh there's a line in the opening song where victoria's parents describe her as uh, our daughter with the face of an otter in disgrace and i can't help but think that like she she does look kind of like an otter i don't know she how does. they did that i can't describe it i cannot tell you the exact features that make that, that read as otter like to me but <laughs> I it's just terrible feel it about in my soul. terrible for them to say about their daughter, though. <laughs> Not the yeah. otter part. Otters are cute and adorable. Otters are cute, that's true. Anyone <laughs> should hope to be just compared to an otter. Um, <laughs> Victoria comes down to, to Victor and says uh, that her, her, she's not allowed to play the piano. Her mother says music is too passionate, unsuited for... Which I'm going to have to call bullshit on that one Um, because in Victorian society it was actually expected for accomplished young ladies to learn a musical instrument so that they could like entertain people at parties. (laughs) But (laughs) it sounds sounds like it would be a thing. (laughs) She says that music is too passionate and if there's, uh, as soon as Victor arrives in the world of the dead later on, what's happening? Music. Passionate music. Um, so it's it's we get more juxtapositions. Um, yeah. This movie has a lot to not so much say as imply mm. um, about being dead is fun. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> about um, living up to society's expectations, whether that's your parents or the expectations of the class that you're in, 
Tim Burton, um, that shows up in a lot of his movies, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, a lot of them are about, like, kind of the suburban ideal, I guess. Right, and how it expects normalcy, normality. Yeah. And, like, it's, uh, you know, the moment that... you break out of that. What is it? What's the, what's the line sent me about Rudolph? Oh, uh, uh, deviation from the norm will be punished unless it is exploitable. There we go. That's not from Rudolph, but it has been said <laughs> it's, about. It's Rudolph. been said about Rudolph. <laughs> no, um, a little a little puppet elf says it directly to the camera. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, didn't the dentist guy say that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's the uh, director's cut. Yeah. yeah. He's like, this is a metaphor for the Hayes Code. Like. <laughs> 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 so, I, I love a Stephanie good dig at the Hayes Code. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we, we all love to rib the Hayes Code. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, Victor, Our audience Googling Hayes yeah, Code. <laughs> I encourage you to research it. Um, anyway. <laughs> Victor's uh, practicing of his vows does not go well. Um, Christopher Lee as the priest gets angry of at course. him. Of course, of course, he's Christopher um, Lee. He does. Of course, it's Christopher and Lee. It's wonderful, by the way. I, absolutely, yes. who has a more imposing uh, the voice whole, than Christopher Lee? Uh, the whole casting in this movie, like everyone, is perfect. Yeah, like, Our this movie's so good. I can't believe I haven't watched it more. <laughs> Yeah, no, you should. I mean, of course, unsurprisingly, we have Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter in the in the the main roles. Yes, absolutely. But they are they're doing very good jobs of like not constantly reminding you, like, hey, yes. I'm Johnny Depp. Hey, I'm Helena Bonham they Carter. Are, they are keeping it in character. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. They both do great jobs in this. Yes. Um, Johnny Depp doing uh, very good as the the meek little Victorian lad. Yes. Uh, a nicely um. <laughs> understated role for him. <laughs> um, and Helena Bonham Carter, just, I don't know, keeping it classy. She's not as crazy as she usually is. Yeah. In a lot of which, uh, movies, which she's is, very it's, subdued. And... Yeah, it's good that they keep her that way, because they could have very easily, with this kind of trope that it is, kind of gone way too far right. into Right, we didn't want to go Sweeney Todd with this. Or that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but and... no, they keep her a pretty... Uh, relatable sympathetic character yeah. uh, so Victor does a horrible job at his vows and he runs away and is practicing them in the woods um, it's, it's a beautiful moonlit night he just so happened he, is, he, is it does he just so happen? I don't he, really it know it was fate Stephanie oh yeah it's fate it was fate yeah, yeah. he is practicing his vows and he finally manages to get them perfect and as he per- finishes his vows correctly for the first time he slides the ring on what to, he assumes is a dead branch uh, and is in reality a dead hand. Hmm. Um, hey, when that happens, I know. It's happened to me more times than I can count. Oh, yeah. um, and the corpse, That's actually how we the got corpse reanimates. Hey. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, 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 the corpse reanimates. So I have to ask was she just sitting here freezing her ass off in the cold, just like yes. sitting in the moonlight? Hoping. She Thank vowed you. to wait for her true love to come along, so she just buried yeah. herself in the dirt. In the snow. Then how did and, everyone in the land of the dead know her? And like, I don't know, she went there and a, came back. That's my primary issue uh, with this movie. I was about to uh, bring that up. Glad Stephanie did. It's like everyone knows her by name. Yeah, like, know her personality. They know like her. they're cool. They're friends. But she's maybe you know honestly maybe she just left her arm there, and the rest of her walked around. <laughs> maybe and then that's she what it is. Something on her arm. 
Yeah, then she gets like, <laughs> magnetized to the arm, like the chainsaw to Ashley's right. chainsaw hand. No, um, the, the, the rules for the way the land of the dead and dying specifically work in this movie are very inconsistent. Um, yeah, they play real fast and loose with the concept of mortality. It's like uh, the so carriage driver <laughs> dies and, I don't know, presumably he's buried and then, you know, he wakes up in the land of the dead. But then later on, the villain dies and he is dead and moving around in the land of the living. It's yeah. He it's literally very it's like the space of a couple seconds. He drinks the poison. He's like coughing in a corner. Then he turns around and, and his he's face like is obviously blue. dead. Right. He's it's, walking it's, around. There's no consistency to it. So I'm just gonna <laughs> try not to nitpick uh, it. I will. I will no prize this one as well. Uh, like I just did with the arm. Uh, my no prize explanation for that is that was a magic potion that the villain drinks at the end. So the rules don't necessarily apply. I assumed it was just poison. It's not a magic potion. It's just I poison. Guess yeah, I thought it was just poison. All too. it did was kill him. Well, it's a poison that stops well, your like, heart. It came out of that like magic book, wasn't that like? No, no. He just called it the, the wine of ages. Guy. No, okay. So Elder Gutnick says he needs to drink the wine of ages, and then Emily says poison, and he says it will stop his heart forever. It's just, it's just poison. That's all it is. I have no idea. So. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. Emily chases a terrified Victor through the woods. I'd be pretty scared if, you know, I thought I was alone in the woods and a corpse rose from the ground and it was, you know, a terrifying ghost bride like the, the uh, what's her name from the Haunted Mansion? Oh, yeah. I don't um, remember her name. But she does look very They just have a general name for her. What is it, like the axe bride? I don't know. Oh. It doesn't matter. Um, I don't know. I don't remember. And so Victor runs to a bridge, and uh, she's there, and kisses him, and they're teleported by ravens, which is, oh, that's a pretty cool effect, yeah, right? pretty cool way to travel. A pretty cool way to travel. And it's uh, a, a great way to stay in shape. a lot of those in 2020 we say that one from time to time <laughs> i had forgotten about that just the floodgates have opened <laughs> seth mcfarlane is tap dancing in my oh. brain right now and it's your fault Sorry. listener you should know that as part of mine and justin's friendship one of my primary goals at all times is to quote open the floodgates of like things justin has forgotten <laughs> Apparently, um, that's one of them. I'm kind of surprised you recognized the reference, but I don't know. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, Victor, Victor wakes up, and the first thing you notice is there's music playing. There's jazz music already playing. Um, and then we notice it's colorful. There's colors everywhere. It's not just shades of gray. And they're then the third thing vibing. you notice, yeah, they're just vibing. And the third thing you notice is he's surrounded by skeletons. Um... And Victor is in the land of the dead, even though he is very much alive. Um, turns out he's married a corpse bride. Yeah, apparently this is legally binding. No, 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 it's not actually. That comes up later. That's true. Uh, that gets uh, so this musical number I love it. Uh, is, it's my favorite in the movie. Yes. Um, and just a kudos to Tim Burton and team for finding so many fun things to do with stop-motion skeletons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. The uh, the band leader's eye rolling around would have been enough, but they yeah. find so many things to do. 
And there's a there's actually I'm gonna bring it up now because I'll forget later. Uh, there's a skeleton moment way later in the movie, uh, where uh, the skeleton with the mustache yeah. takes a uh, takes a puff of his pipe and blows out hearts out of his eyes, and I was like, that is ingenious. <laughs> <laughs> I love what they do with skeletons. They're, 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 anyway. they're going Looney Tunes with it. It's very, you know, yeah. wolf with hard eyes bulging yeah. out. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we get a lot of good stuff. It's not just, like, skeleton xylophone ribcage, which we've seen before. We also get spinal column saxophone. <laughs> Stand-up bass. Yes, and the bass. Um, take it, Chansey. Um, so, uh, he's at a... Victor is at a bar. And there's a lot of... <laughs> dead people and um fortunately the band leader is kind enough to lead us in a jazzy musical number explaining the murder of their friend right right <laughs> as um, you do this is where victor learns most of his, the information about his new bride <laughs> yeah <laughs> emily um and great number i love it it's so jazzy it's so bouncy and fun um and it really like nails home the hey we're dead but we're okay (laughs) (laughs) we're some cool guys um i love me a scat and skeleton Uh, so turns out emily was uh betrothed um they ran away for some reason i don't remember why her parents didn't approve her parents god knows why thank you stephanie no he's not rich he marries rich women so that he can murder them and keep their money because she was rich yes and oh uh, speaking of the skeleton musical number, um, I didn't realize this first time I watched it, but I realized it this time. When he's talking about uh, how Emily was murdered, it shows the exact silhouette of uh, Lord, what's his Marcus. face, the bad guy, uh, on the wall. That tune while is it's unmistakable. Doing the reenactment. So it is like, it is telegraphed that early. Yeah. Um, that he killed her. Yeah. It's not. So very big of a twist because <laughs> he's so he's so obviously evil and conniving the whole time mm-hmm. <laughs> the, um, but I just love that they were like yeah it's right there like if you're yeah, paying attention yeah, you to go. the shapes of our characters yeah. it's right there yeah no I failed to mention that while Victor was practicing his vows very clumsily a Lord Marcus Bittern showed up uh, pretending to be early for the wedding and both of Victoria's parents just assumed he was an extended relative that they didn't remember and allowed him to stay in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yes, Victoria was betrothed, and she was murdered on the night that she was supposed to elope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why she was in the woods waiting for someone to, you know, come and say their vows to her. What happens next? I think, what, uh, we go back to the land of the living, yeah. and find out everyone is, like, you know, uh, someone saw him in the arms of a mystery woman, yeah. Um, Victoria's parents are upset. Um, Victor's mom is like, "What? He doesn't even know any women." It's, thanks, mom. <laughs> um, Victor. All of the details aren't important, so I'm just going to go what I what I remember. Victor is distraught. He's married to a corpse. He's in the land of the dead. He shouldn't be here. Yeah, uh, he runs away. Uh, Victoria surprises him with a gift of his dead dog, which she or uh, sorry. Emily does. Emily. Emily surprises him with a gift of his dead dog, which she knew how to find somehow. Um, I'm going to posit that there is a uh, dead dog humane society or something in the in the, the land of the dead where people, they just like hold on to people's dead pets until they die and show up there to collect them. A little them, grim, but... but hey, that'd be kind of nice, right? Yeah. 
I'm also I want to know what it is with Tim Burton and reanimated and dogs. dogs. Like, if yeah. that's a trauma from his childhood. I know, that's... His, uh... It must be. His first short film was Frank and Weenie, yep. which was later remade into a feature. Yep. Uh, then there's Zero. Zero in Nightmare Before Christmas, and then no. um, This Dog. So that's four S- different instances. I'm a little scared to so, dig into that one. I'm afraid there's probably some pain d- in there. Yeah, somewhere. I don't want to know. I'm just saying it's a theme in the man's movies. No, I'm sure it's absolutely a thing. <laughs> Poor Timmy. Yeah. That's, that's rough. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, Scraps and Emily have a conversation, <laughs> and they uh, they figure out uh, they're trying to find a way to go back to the land of the living. Because Victor's like, "Well, I need to tell my parents," um, and they go visit Elder Gutnik, and he uh, uses a Ukrainian haunting spell on them to send them back to the land of the living. Victor runs to find Victoria. Yeah, he ditches. To... Well, he tells her. Oh right, yeah. Emily goes with him. He says, "I'm going to go find my parents and break the news to them so they're not super freaked out when they." you know see it your bones <laughs> um but instead he wants to find victoria his actual uh fiance to tell her what's going on and she's he doesn't really tell her until emily shows up on their balcony um and it's like who is this like who's this bitch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, emily rough. takes victor back to the land of the dead and then victoria's like holy crap, Victor's married to a corpse. She tells her mom. Her mom's like, Victor was in your room? Yeah, like, that's what her mom's the point, mom. about. Yeah. So Victoria runs to Christopher Lee. And Christopher Lee is like, mm, yes, this is very serious, and takes her back to her parents, and is like, she's a raving lunatic. What a dig. <laughs> um, nobody wants to listen to a woman. I mean, it's Victorian England. Why would they listen yeah, to a single uh, woman? <laughs> between this movie and The Witch, I have some things to say about organized religion. <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> Save that for the witch when I don't have anything to say. Uh, well, you know, Army of Darkness had some serious questions about uh, no, it <laughs> no, it didn't. Army, Army of Darkness did not propose any questions. <laughs> its question was Where the chainsaw go? Yeah, its question was Will this person get killed with a chainsaw or something else? Anyway, but Victor yes. and Victoria are back in the land of the dead, and they're they're kind of feuding because Victoria or Emily is like, "Who is that other woman?" And Victor's like, "Well, technically, you're the other woman." <laughs> um, this is where we get like you know Emily's lament, um, which is a good song. Uh, her her spider and maggot friends try and cheer her up, which is like a whatever song, but I like Emily's melody. Okay. Yes, just so the maggot. Yeah, uh, I don't know why they chose to make the maggot Peter Laurie. I don't know. I thought his voice sounded familiar, but I don't know who that is. I I love it. Uh, I love him. Um, if you've ever well, uh, okay. he's just been in a ton of movies from the 30s through the 60s. Um, he's parodied in Looney yes. Tunes a lot. <laughs> Looney Tunes is the only thing I know Peter Laurie's face from. What? I was, we were watching this and I was like, why does the maggot look like the dude from Looney Tunes? I mean, I'm assuming that was an actual guy. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Peter Laurie. Uh, just, he's in... He's in a ton of stuff for about 30 years of cinema um don't know if this person is familiar to me he has a funny looking uh, face for sure (laughs) 
his voice is like the inspiration for uh, Ren from Ren and Stimpy. He was in Casablanca it, it, in the Maltese Falcon. Huh. Yeah, he's he's an icon that has kind of like been forgotten. Most people only remember the parodies of him. <laughs> um, yeah. But interesting. Uh, interesting choice. And again, I'm here for it. Anyway, let's keep going. All right, who has been voiced by? Uh, he is voiced by a random guy. The same guy as the town crier. All right. Mm. Where was I? I Emily is sad. Where are you? Uh, Emily's parents decide to marry her off to Lord Barkus. Mm. Victoria's parents. Sorry. I keep <laughs> getting them backwards. <laughs> Victoria's parents decide to marry her off to Lord Barkus because they think he's rich because they are a bunch of dum-dums and they didn't make ch- they didn't make sure. Um, and Victor and Emily are getting a little closer. They have this sweet little scene where they share a duet at the piano, which I'm a fan of. It's cute. It's cute. Makes me miss my piano. And Victor decides that he's... Before he decides... Emily is approached by Elder Goodnicht, and he reveals that they are not technically married because death has already parted them. Mm-hmm. So for them to be married, Victor will have to die. Yeah. And um, Victor agrees, because from what he is aware, uh, his parents' stagecoach driver has died and told them that Victoria is going to be married to Lord Barkus. So um, Victor, being a good man and liking Emily and seeing the state she's in he agrees to he agrees to die to stay with her he's like well might as well die yeah, well, <laughs> literally, guess i'll die guess what <laughs> actually um and, but they get have you to, a man but who... he has to say his vows in the land of the living and then like drink the poison as part of his vows don't know why it has to happen in the land of the living apparently vows said in the land of the dead are not binding um, so everyone's excited that they're going or upstairs. Or maybe he can't die if he's in the land of the dead as a mortal person. I don't know. Interesting question. Like One that is all... not answered by the movie. It's hard to tell how it works. It is all just magic. It's yeah. in this old book bullshit. of the dead. A Necronomicon, if you yeah. will. Uh, <laughs> hand wavy. Don't think about it. Magic. <laughs> all right. So the land of everyone in the land of the dead is very excited. We're going upstairs to have a wedding. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, Emily, Victoria, gets married to Lord Barkus. Yes. And they're at the reception at Victoria's family home, and it is drab and dreary, and nobody is talking except for Barkus. Because he's literally the most house. depressing wedding ever. I know, and. <laughs> Uh, Victoria's poor maid is, uh, slash like ner- wet nurse Hildegard. Is, Hildegard is crying at the wedding because nobody That's else cares so about Emily's <laughs> about Victoria's feelings. Yeah. For some reason, when when the 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 deadites, for lack of a better word, <laughs> uh, decide to go to the land of the living, the the entrance point is the fireplace in Victoria's family home. See, I was not. I was confused about that too because I assumed that they went there intentionally. Uh, th- there's no indication of that because they're marching along. We never see any of. We never see anyone in the land of the dead walk through a portal that of any true. sort. Yeah, there's no like Diagon Alley 
two thing right. like <laughs> yeah there's no diagonally seen uh, and yeah hold on i just realized that i didn't question it while i was watching the movie and now that's like annoying me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wondered that. Yeah, too. it doesn't show them leaving the land of the dead. It, it, we just pick up in the wedding reception, and whew, right. the fireplace sparks up green and green, and out come zombies and skeletons. Because, like, if it's intentional, why would they go there? And if it's unintentional, why would they end up there? I am uh, on. I'm gonna err on the side of it was unintentional, but it was the largest fireplace in town, and it was the most <laughs> convenient place for an entire wedding party to exit through. So. <laughs> uh, my favorite ghost in this sequence is the ghost of Victoria's, I think, great grandfather Finnis. He's like, "Where's the wine?" He's like, yeah. you know, he's like <laughs> the spirits. Sorry. Where do you keep the spirits?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. Oh, perfect. Very, Very haunted mansion. Love that guy. <laughs> Yeah, and like especially it. since he's standing in front of the portrait of oh, himself. Oh, speaking of Haunted Mansion, we should watch that at some point. Oh, gross. You know what? I have never watched okay, it. Okay, I'm not going to say it's good, but I am going to say it has some pretty good sequences, and I watched it a fair amount in, like, elementary and middle school. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on. The, the I'll wedding, do it because I love the ride. The Wedding Party of the Damned shows up at the Wedding Party of the Living, and... Uh, wreak havoc everyone is terrified and then very quickly uh everyone comes to realize that it's just people they know like one of the zombies picks up this tiny little kid and the kid's just like grandpa (laughs) (laughs) and then the light literally changes from green to blue like someone flicked a switch Mm -hmm. so that uh, that's one of my favorite jokes in the movie and just that line delivery of grandpa (laughs) <laughs> kills me <laughs> yeah I think it must be everyone from the town or yeah like, I'm assuming the land of the dead was like geographically like coherent yeah. with the land of the living interesting well yeah that uh that heart skeleton that I was talking about <laughs> yes uh, the uh dead Gomez as I'm gonna call no, it no no not <laughs> dead Gomez he's a um he's a, oh my god gone with the wind Rhett Butler he's a, he's Rhett, no no oh, that's right <laughs> the actor huh who played Rat Butler? Oh, um, oh my God, uh, Clark Gable. Thank you, the Clark Gable skeleton. He literally <laughs> yes, says, yes, "Frankly, yes. my dear, I don't give a damn." That's right. Yeah, he is the one that puffs the hearts out of his yeah, eyes because he sees his old guy. wife Gertrude. <laughs> She's like, "But you've been dead for fifteen years." <laughs> Right, so at that point, it's just people a bunch of aren't really scared. They're just kind of like, oh, hey, cool. Why yeah. don't you visit more often? Yeah, Mayhew goes and sees his old friends who work at the, the fishmongers. Um, they go to the church, and the, 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 the priest is trying to be like, you shall not enter here, you creatures, you demons from hell. And they're just like, quiet, it's a church. <laughs> and then he's just like flabbergasted, and that's the last you see of him. Good. He just gives up Fuck i'm gonna guy. assume he gave up the priesthood because of that he probably <laughs> he couldn't keep dead people from entering the church he just kind of we start to have a nice ceremony victor is very confident now um good for my man good for him um and he starts to say his vows and emily sees victoria victoria has run away from lord barkus and is in the church and emily sees her and um doesn't let victor drink from the wine um she says something along the lines of I, I was a bride once I had my dreams taken from me and now I've taken them from someone else and that's so sad man she doesn't want to do that she doesn't deserve that 
Um, and so we get a we get a very nice love triangle plots have the potential to be very annoying. Um, it is it is very easy for them to be very annoying. I think this one is resolved very nicely. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like anybody is actually wronged. Yeah. Um, and, everyone is reaches a mutual understanding. The movie has a decent amount of respect for all three characters involved. Yeah. And no one is acting like crazy and jealous and like right. acting out of character or anything. It's yeah. It's nice. I mean, and I think part of that is because like Emily isn't the villain of the movie. Like no. it looks for a minute like she will be, but you realize pretty quickly that she's also just a victim of circumstance. Having having you're right. Having an external villain really does help. Yeah. With the the love triangle dynamic. Right. Um, because it gives the the person who doesn't have a happy ending somewhere to direct their anger. Y yeah. Outside yeah, exactly. of the triangle. Right. Um, because and she recognizes that that's like a big moment for her. Is like like good stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it was taken away from her. She doesn't want to be the villain in someone else's story by taking it away from them. I'm the villain in your history. Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> uh, so then Barkus shows up yes. and what a good smarmy I hate every single second he's on screen villain. Yeah, he is. He shows up. There's a lot of characters in this movie to be fair that you, <laughs> you hate them a lot. Yeah. But yes. Uh, but, uh, but this, he's the most overtly villainous. This this fucker walks up like, oh, I see there's a wedding. <laughs> Sarcastic like, I class. <laughs> Please die. Yeah. Because uh, Victor and Victoria are like, we're going to run away together. And Barkus is like, um, we're still married. And Victoria, or this is where Emily goes, you. And, okay. Victor and Barkus have a sword fight. Sorry, it's a sword and fork fight. Yes, uh, Victor is thrown a carving fork on accident. <laughs> I love that. Sorry! Sorry! <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good little action sequence. And Victor ends up disarmed, and um, Victor is down on his back, and it looks like Barkus is about to run him through. And then cut, and surprise reveal that Emily took the blade for him because she's dead. Yeah. And yeah. I love 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 the little se the sequence where there we have that reveal and then emily pulls the sword out of her chest and points it at barkus the man yeah. who murdered her the slow tracking shot mm. like around it's while just she's a, like pointing it at him yes he's, it's like, first there's a, there's a super fluid shot of her pulling the sword out of her own chest and pointing it at the man who murdered her um and then uh, we change shots and he's like circling around like ha 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 being all haughty and she's following him with the sword it's just such a good, satisfying character moment. Like, I'm so happy for her. Yeah, you um, kind of just want her to stick him right there, but she, she doesn't right. have to. They, they, the All of the dead deadites uh, start to move towards him, and Elder Gutnick reminds them uh, that apparently this is our first time hearing of this. Yeah, we didn't know about that, this one. Uh, since they're in the land of the living, they have to play by their rules, which means, I guess, that they can't harm the living. And... Barkus takes a swig of the wine of ages, not knowing what it is, and walks off haughtily, thinking he's, you know, just gonna disappear into the night. Um, except uh, it kills him, and Elder Grotnick is like, oh, he's all yours, which is a very satisfying ending for this villain. Terrifying. 
and they just like creep yeah over it they oh, disappear so into a room new arrival <laughs> scary as hell man it was very uh dr facilier in princess and the frog <laughs> yeah <laughs> where, the, where they get dragged oh, to the unknown we're all friends right um scary I still haven't seen Princess and the Frog. Justin. See, now we have it to was do the last hand animated Disney movie. Mm-hmm. I know I'm I'm a terrible person. Justin, I need to it watch. It is delightful. You are yeah. you Keith David is upset at you, okay? <laughs> uh, look, I'm all about it. I just haven't gotten to <laughs> You got to get on this, man. Okay. You gotta get on it. We- we're almost done with Corpse Bride. Yes. Yes. And I've done remarkably well for doing this all from memory. Yeah, you have. Honestly. I've probably done more than I should have, but uh, so all of the deadites, with the exception of Emily, have. I love how we're to, just calling them. I'm the calling deadites them deadites. Um, <laughs> have gone on to torture Lord Barkus for eternity. Yikes. And. Or until they get bored of it, which it right. seems like they could pretty quickly. So we're left with Victor, Victoria, and Emily in the church. And Emily has, you know, accepted. She, she is. She has been given peace because her her murderer has been dealt with, and she wants Victor Victoria to be happy. And she walks off into the moonset. And we don't really know what turns this into means, a but... bunch of butterflies. Yeah. And then sure the credits roll. Though. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like she ascended to a higher plane of existence. Yes, she walked through the door. Maybe that, I don't know, it's never really said, like, I kind of assumed that the land of the dead was just, like, the catch-all afterlife. Like, it was heaven, hell, purgatory, everything. It was just kind of where they are. But that kind of makes it seem as if it's more of a a limbo or purgatory state. I'm gonna read this as a, as a, the good place type situation, where Where they get to the good place and, yeah, you can leave when you want to. There's a bar. Uh, yeah. So, my read on this um, is if you go by, like, quote-unquote haunting rules, uh, she was someone that was dead. She was a spirit that was dead that had definite unfinished business. Right. That's true. Um, yeah. And so this was her, like, send-off from the mortal plane. Like, she's now like everyone else. She can't go back there. Um, so she's just permanently dead now yeah and that is a uh, pretty so that was just her send off of her spirit from the mortal realm yeah that's a pretty common trope in classic ghost stories which were very popular in the victorian era um was that you know if there was a spirit who was haunting the mortal world it was because uh there was something keeping them there like a, a memory a trauma a a crime some yeah like you said unfinished business like something that had to be resolved before they could move on basically um and of course that's often a metaphor for how people can linger in in less than ideal circumstances and kind of become caught in endless cycles unless they're able to come to terms with things and move on um but yeah that kind of but the the only thing about that is that to me that kind of raises the question of does that mean that everyone that's in the land of the dead has some kind of unfinished business with the mortal world because none of them really gave well they had living relatives and stuff and like maybe that was part of what we're supposed to gather is that they still well but they were only able to they were only able to cross over because of that very specific circumstance 
um, right. But what I mean, they're not able to normally do that. Yeah. So why? I guess I'm wondering why they haven't um, ascended to a higher plane, like moved on. I guess the way she has. Like, are they being kept there by some kind of unfinished business in the mortal world? I don't know. <laughs> See, this is this movie Maybe. is not clear about how its system works. No, not at all. Uh, what, we're just gonna hand wave it, or we're gonna be here all night discussing yeah, the yeah, intricacies <laughs> of the afterlife in the corpse bride. Uh, I like a good clear <laughs> afterlife system. Anyway. All right. Well, that is uh, that is the corpse bride, one of my favorite Tim Burton movies. Yeah, probably the one I watch the most, honestly. Yeah, I like it. I have some other ones that I really like too. I I hope we get to talk about Edward Scissorhands some some here somewhere on this podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of that one, but yeah, I think the, this one is definitely one of my more more favorite ones. Um, especially out of his animated fare. Um, I yeah. on second watch again. I haven't seen this since the first time when I was a kid or a kid a teenager a child (laughs) (laughs) um i i loved it um i think again nightmare before christmas will always be closer to my heart but i think if i want to watch a tim burton stop motion movie this is going to be my go-to from now uh which on that note can i give you some fun dorky facts please do or a fun dorky fact please do uh course bride is the first fully stop motion animated feature to be shot digitally rather uh, rather than on film all right hmm. so interesting thing. i don't it was really shot know with the a dslr but... oh yeah so all right um you yeah, so you want to know good on you tim burton and team you want to know a fact that's going to make your skin crawl uh ah. do you know what is probably the tim burton movie that i have seen the most hmm what is it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, yeah, that does make my I skin hate you. Crawl. Mine's Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that movie a lot in middle school. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. My family loved it. We had it on DVD. I watched it all the time. Was that the movie he did before Look, this one? Because I, I think it was right after this one. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. I could be wrong. Whichever. No, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I, I don't know. But I do not. Uh, it was the same year. In 05. It was the oh, same wow. year. Gee, Tim, he was he was on it. He was on it in two thousand five. Yeah. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, I uh, Heather owns this DVD. That's how I watch this movie this time around. The uh, pre DVD menu commercial was for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, it was on ours. It too, was ours so. too. Although ours isn't an original. Yeah. My parents have the uh. original. I'm going to steal all my parents' DVDs one day because there's just something about the original commercials, you know? Yeah. I will only watch the Shrek on, or I will only watch Shrek on DVD with the original previews. That's nice, dear. <laughs> uh, okay. So any final thoughts on Corpse Bride? I like it. Yeah, that's good. Um, now let's... Good on you, Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you managed you, to, to be sincere for once. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, I think a lot of his stuff is sincere. It's just in a really weird way that is unknowable to humans. <laughs> um. On that note, we'll be right back with The Witch. Ooh. Stephanie and I will talk as Caleb winces. Yeah. See you after the break. <laughs> yeah. Hi, everyone. Justin here. Thank you so much for checking out our show. 
You may notice some audio issues during these early episodes as we're recording them in separate locations during quarantine. It is our intention to record in person once it's safe, but for now, we work with what we have. Please follow the recommended guidelines, wear your masks, stay safe, and enjoy the rest of the episode. All right, welcome back, everybody. So, um, the, it's it's me, Stephanie, the the third voice. Yeah, boy. Yeah, and Caleb's still here. No, Stephanie, you're the boy. I was. Oh, I'm the boy. Okay, yeah. I'm your boy. <laughs> it's me, your boy. Uh, <laughs> so, I am a fellow. <laughs> you're a fellow. For for this third segment of our Halloween special episode, we will be discussing the 2015. Um, Robert Eggers, is that his name? Robert Eggers film. Yes. Uh, the Witch, also known as The Vivitch. Uh-huh. Get it? Because it looks like two Vs. Um, anyway, so Caleb will be <laughs> sitting in on this episode. I am here. He might be chiming in from time to time, but he, he probably won't be saying as much because... Um, I'm going to be honest, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> as is probably known to our listeners by now... Uh, Caleb is not so much on the horror train. Um, true, true. It, it's so. Justin, you can kind of relate to this. There, we kind of have this this line, the the Caleb line of demarcation, <laughs> if you will. I call it. <laughs> I call it the Caleb Zawini. Line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, call for short. Um, and <laughs> also, it, no. To me, it's more of like a. You know how not safe for work is a thing. It's like NSFC, not safe, not safe for Caleb. Justin coined that. Okay, well, thank you, Justin, for coining that. I was not aware. He forgot, though, so we'll give you credit this time. Yes. Um, the problem is it can be kind of difficult to figure out. Some movies are a little in the, in the middle area, and Caleb could sometimes surprise you with what he can or can't withstand. Like, for instance, Army of Darkness. He was fine with that. Technically, that does have a man uh, chainsawing the same version of himself to pieces. Yeah, but it didn't show it. No, it didn't show it. See, but that's the thing. Yeah, it's not graphic. The the witch isn't really graphic, and there's not honestly that much violence that happens in it. And there's no real jump scares. Yeah, either. yeah, no. Uh, there, there is actually there's one jump scare. Which one would you define as it. the jump scare? Uh, when, um, oh god, uh, when the young-looking witch, uh, lures in Caleb, when there's that, like, scene, or that, uh, shot where her hand, her old creepy hand pops up and grabs her by the back of the head. This is only the second Caleb I've ever heard of in movies. Yeah, uh, this one also dies. Oh, cool. Love to know that every time there's a Caleb in a movie, (laughs) you die. Yeah, yeah. Caleb's be dying. Uh, I guess that 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 could count as a jump scare. Yeah, yeah. Um, I... Yeah, I see. I knew that one was coming, so I guess it didn't startle me as much. There's also the parts where there's like, where the 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 old raggedy witch appears in the in the like barn in the darkness, and also where the the goat attacks the uh, the the dad. Both of those kind of caught me off guard a little bit, but there is build up. Yeah, that's fair. That's but funny. yeah, it's just it's not jump scary, and that's by design. Honestly, watching it in the theater, I remember 
the things that actually startled me more was when it would suddenly cut to the dad chopping wood because it would be like a, a loud sudden sound and I was like yo what mm. um <laughs> I mean I I, um, I know that was by design but it always it always startled me a little bit because it was such a loud aggressive sound uh when so much was so quiet you know intense um um so I just uh just real quick uh, before we get into it, I love. Uh, here's the difference between being friends with somebody be, uh, versus being married to somebody. <laughs> I changed my movie uh, to accommodate Caleb. Stephanie's just like, no, not nah, fucking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it. I you know I tried to think of something that was more safe for Caleb, but um, I was trying to like have a diverse array of movies, you know? And, like, most of the movies I could think of that would have been okay for Caleb to watch were kind of corpse bridey, you know what I mean? Like, they were in that similar vein of, like, you're kind of PG, it's okay for kids to watch this, spooky movies. And I wanted to veer a little bit away from that because since Army of Darkness is so different from that, I wanted to do something that was also different from that so we could get kind of the different sides of it. Um, I did try to think about it. No, that's... No, that's absolutely fair. Um, let's uh, let's get into our histories here uh, because there is a lot to get into here. Not so much plot wise because if you just like hit the bullet points of this movie, yeah, not too much happens. Uh, but all of it is very important yes. and drenched in symbolism <laughs> and meaning. Yes, <laughs> it is burdened with with glorious purpose. Oh, um, um. Justin, do you want to go first? So, uh, like The Corpse Bride, this is my second time seeing this movie. I actually uh, didn't watch this until um, late last year, actually. I didn't Mm -hmm. see it when it first came out. Uh, I had the Blu-ray forever, uh, just sitting wrapped on my shelf, um, (laughs) and we finally decided to uh, dust it off, open it, and pop it into the PS4, uh, and I... uh, it's an A24 movie. Always a fan. They're all good. Like, uh, so I was absolutely in love with it. Um, and I was I was happy that this was your pick because it, it's something I've been meaning to watch for a second time because I know it's one of those movies that on second rewatch you're going to pick up oh, so much more. Oh, it definitely benefits from rewatches, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is... I want to say the third or fourth time I've seen it. I did see this one in theaters, actually. Um, Caleb was not with me, of course. I was with some friends. Um, It it was a tense uh, watch in the theater, definitely. I think at that point it had been out for a couple weeks. I didn't really know the whole plot. All I knew that happened was that um, the girl became a witch at the end. So I knew she survived and I knew that happened. But everything in between I didn't really know about. Um, and so it, you can imagine that that was pretty tense. I was like, uh, the whole time, like, I honestly don't watch a lot of quote unquote horror movies in theaters because I just get so nervous and I, I don't like not knowing where the jump scares are. I don't like not knowing who's going to die, that kind of thing. I see, unlike some, I actually like to know those things <laughs> because otherwise I will just be too, too anxious the whole time. But I, I managed to weather it. I think I was at least a little bit intoxicated. That probably helped. Um, <laughs> um, 
But no, I, I, I had a good time. I really love this movie. Um, to anyone who knows my taste in movies, that's probably no big surprise. Um, I, I like horror. I like uh, historical stuff. This one really hammers that in. Like um, Robert Eggers really um, did his research. Like he really wanted to make the the dialogue sound <laughs> appropriately Puritan. Which, oh my god, uh, the dialogue in this movie and the performance. Oh yeah, in this movie even the kids, like incredible. everyone, is really good in it. Um, I yeah, I really it's... like the dialogue. I know for some people that was a sticking point, but for me, it was it was so immersive. Like, absolutely, and you find yourself getting into the rhythm of it after a while. Like first, it's a little bit j- jarring, you know, um, but. But after a while, at least for me, you kind of you kind of get used to the the world, quote unquote, um, and, and the way they talk. It's like if you read enough Shakespeare, it, it starts to kind of you start to find the rhythm of it after a while, and you kind of start to understand what it means a little more. Because they don't use that many words that we don't use now. It's more just that their patterns of speech are very different. Yeah, and the words that we don't really use anymore. It's like easy to understand right. like you understand what that yeah yeah <laughs> right right exactly um yeah context uh picks up a lot of it um and also i liked how the movie really got into the the nitty-gritty of calvinism um of mm-hmm. the uh, <laughs> yeah those well, there's a topic yeah, that that was honestly one of the more unsettling parts of it was just like the human character's belief in in the concept of predestination uh and of you know oh god what the I can't quote it verbatim but the the father says something along the lines of none of us can know who is a sinner and who is a saint only god can know something like that and it mm-hmm. I think that is really good at kind of establishing that sense of religious paranoia that so consumes the family throughout this um and is what causes them to to turn on each other it's not just the natural fear of being in the wilderness and being isolated from other people it's also this sense that like um you know it's the religious aspect of it and also the sense that they none of them can know who is truly good and who is evil like and so when you have a belief system that tells you that you can't trust anyone um because even calvinism is separate from your i don't know regular run-of-the-mill protestantism because the latter teaches more or less that you know anyone who who uh confesses their sins and and accepts god it can be saved but calvinism is kind of this weird place where it's like you can do that but you're also predestined to do that. So like if you Yeah. Like with the baby, it's like the baby was never baptized. So for the parents it's this big question mark whether the baby will even go to heaven. Which wouldn't be a thing in our usual concept of Protestantism, but it was extremely common for the Puritans of the time. Sorry, <laughs> just big tangent there. No. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, this movie, uh, if it wasn't for its heavy focus on uh, religion, wouldn't work. Um, this movie with a bunch of atheists in the woods, <laughs> Richard Dawkins and Endgame oh in uh, the woods. <laughs> uh, 
the this movie's use of um religion as like i how do i even want to word this like uh it's left and right limits for what the characters will do how they'll act and what yeah. they'll believe uh it just adds so much pressure mm -hmm. and stress yeah it's an oppressive cloud really hanging like... over them the entire time mm -hmm. it colors everything they do um and of course it even shows that at the very beginning the the family is uh for lack of a better word excommunicated uh banished from their their little puritan colony because the father has beliefs that contradict um the elders in some way we're never really told exactly what those are but so it's like even within puritan society they have a different set of beliefs that they are very rigidly sticking to it's a uh, it's interesting because um the father who is the reason they're like uh ostracized in the way that and isolated the way that they are um you see that because it's painted like he did something terrible um but really he's just a man who is willing to uh lie and steal a little bit for the better of his family um so that's his entire struggle throughout this movie is he feel like all, he feels like all of the misfortune upon his family is because of the sins he's willing to commit he he is such a great character like like characterization wise probably the best one um I, I think he gets the most complexity and uh ralph innocent plays him with just mm -hmm. like absolute chilling uh i don't know detail <laughs> he, he's he's really great it's, it's so good like uh it takes it takes a very special actor to carry a scene with just their face and he is like it's a mess he already has that kind of odd looking very severe face so he very much looks mm -hmm. like uh a a slightly religiously crazed puritan patriarch um also just the voice i i really like i now i don't know my my european accents this this well i i confess <laughs> i confess it um but um the <laughs> the the accents they speak with is with this like i want to say like kind of it sounds almost scottish but like northern english sort of um like oh god the way the the way the father says corruption like he says it like the you like an uh kind of like kind of how uh in game of thrones they use that that kind of accent a yeah. lot and i don't know what it is i need to fi find out but i don't know but I no love yeah it. <laughs> it's just like they say bad instead of bade like uh he, he bad me bring him uh, an unbaptized babe um yeah d the way they they talk is really great too and really immersive anyway i'm not even I must gonna make what'd you say <laughs> i must make confession. yeah i know it's uh the it's really good. It feels so real. I'm not even going to try to go beat by beat with the plot for this one. Um, uh, if you haven't watched this movie, <laughs> I'm giving you permission to pause this podcast, <laughs> watch the movie. It's only 93 minutes. And I come could back. not believe it was uh, that short. I was like, I. it feels longer. I, I mean that in a good way. I, it feels like there is so much that happens in it and so much just tension and dread that builds throughout uh, it. I could not... For the amount that I was engaged and invested versus its runtime, like, it 
definitely feels like a yes it does it, it feels very long <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I i do mean that as a compliment honestly um Absolutely. yeah that so so basically just just to recount in broad strokes the family is as we said more or less excommunicated from their puritan colony uh we do find out over the course of the story that they actually well of course they did uh given the year i think the the canonical year is 1630 they emigrated from england uh i believe it was and and came along with other puritans presumably um and and the children at least the older children do have memories of living in england and for um the the mother especially it's kind of recalled as like this ideal life that they can never get back now that they've made the choice to come here to the wilderness um the the motif of the wilderness is something that i made note of specifically like the very first line um that the the father speaks is what went we out into this wilderness to find um and when he's talking to the elders of the church and he goes on to say it was to spread the word of god uh you know to establish our own church then later on in the film he says we will conquer this wilderness it will not consume us um of course as we know like that's exactly what happens the the wilderness almost quite literally does consume them um yes. but when they are cut off from that society it's basically like they then have to become part of the wilderness because that's all that's left like available to them and of course there's that very kind of i don't know almost like a retro tactic where like it zooms in on the woods with like the <laughs> rising chorus and it's very dramatic or melodramatic some would say i god I yeah no it. i i really you like it too spoon <laughs> shit. i love it <laughs> yeah no it's it's it is not subtle about like hey this is a bad place <laughs> like bad stuff is gonna happen here um <laughs> I just said Army of Darkness is one of my favorite movies. Do you think I care about subtlety? <laughs> well, that's one of the... That's also a great thing about this movie. It is so subtle with some things and so not subtle when it needs to be. The, the plot is very subtle. Its themes are basically high-fiving you. In the face. <laughs> yes. Right. Like, the... the the plot <laughs> in its barest bodes the plot is just about like members of the family dying one by one <laughs> there's a little more to it than that but i mean yeah that's people die they get possessed it's a saturday <laughs> what did you say sorry you cut out for a second i said people die they get possessed it's a saturday <laughs> <laughs> for this family yeah it's right like that's kind of it it well I'm not going to say it escalates slowly because losing the baby first is hardly a slow escalation, but there will be sometimes a long time in between things happening, but you always feel that tension building. And um, losing the, the baby, Samuel, happens very soon after, I, I don't know if it does like within the universe's runtime, but within the movie's runtime, it happens very soon after they... Uh, build their farm out in the wilderness um that one's honestly kind of spoiled in the trailer uh, <laughs> so what yeah uh so the the baby being taken on thomason's watch is the 
first indication that things are kind of being staged by we don't know mm-hmm. who uh, to make everything seem like it's Thomas. She's essentially fault. being framed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, for me, the most disturbing scene in this movie is what the witch does with the baby. Yeah, we don't really see her actually, you know, kill the bravery, but we see the baby. And then we see. Uh, but we see her with a knife. We see her pointing at the baby and around the baby's uh, uh, man baby bits. Uh, and then we see her making a potion yep. in a stump yep. with a mortar pedestal thing. Yeah. Kind of uh, kind of going on. And... The crazy thing to me is Oof. that the movie shows its hand this early. Like, it just literally shows you, here's a baby, here's a witch. The witch obviously killed the baby and is definitely using it uh, for some witchy shit. Uh, for me, um, I'm glad they did this uh, because the movie is so much worse when you know what's happening and you see just, like, the pressure building on Thomason. Yeah. Uh rather than the movie making you think oh she is the witch and then being like oh surprise she's not i'm yeah this was a good tension builder for the rest of the film yeah it's and it has to be purposeful i i think it you know i i could easily see a movie like this as other movies that are sort of like this have done um leaving it ambiguous as to whether there was an actual supernatural evil force at work um Mm-hmm. I think if you took out that scene and the one where uh, the witch who's wearing red, whether or not it's the same one, it's hard to say because there are all those witches around the fire at the end. I guess it could be any one mm-hmm. of them. But but the, the hot red... We're led to believe it is because of the old evil hand yeah, that she grabs. Yeah, that's true. Caleb with. Right. So, um, anyway. Yeah, we're... <laughs> the witch who lives in the woods. Um that yeah where she grabs him so we are pretty clearly shown like okay there is an actual witch um and so then that makes me wonder what the movie's purpose is in showing that to us um and i think it must be kind of like what you said it must be to to really show us how how tragic and how in some ways infuriating it is that the human characters instead of you know having solidarity with each other and trying to help each other survive in the face of this evil are instead just turning on each other and and tearing each other apart especially like um uh, because it's hard not to make a connection uh with this movie and the like Salem oh yeah it's definitely uh uh and the fact that like Thomason as a young teenager who is way too responsible for her brother and sister uh, to get them in line says yeah I am a witch listen to me like because they're shown to be like little yeah little <laughs> right and that's <laughs> to her that's uh, the thing like she says that as like a I don't know a joke she's like messing with her sister essentially but because these people take everything so deathly serious um, in this regard. Well, when things start getting messy, um, and it came out that she admitted, quote-unquote, that she's a witch, and then her family starts treating her as such, mm-hmm. it's like, it's heartbreaking to think how much stuff like that actually went oh, down. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Terrible. Right, and you kind of get the sense that 
if the people accusing Thomason had been anyone other than her own family, this one isolated unit, she probably wouldn't have survived nearly as long as she did, like... Oh, no. Like, day one. Like, yeah. first accusation. Right, exactly. And, I mean, gone. even then, even at the end, like, her, her mom... <laughs> no spoilers, but... Uh, her mom is pretty willing to to murder her and she's only able to escape that by killing her instead and that's like even within her own family like the there's still that willingness to kill anyone who is suspected even of of doing those things um so you're right in a way it is almost kind of a microcosm for the for the um the witch trials of course in yeah. that case it was a bunch of nothing and in this case there was actually <laughs> witchery going on yeah. but but not from the people that were <laughs> suspected that's kind of the odd thing um which i didn't really realize until now is that while the family seems to believe pretty early on that there is witching quote-unquote going on they never seem to to think that there is an outside source of it like that maybe there is a witch around who is messing with them it's always placing blame on someone in the family like it has to be one of them yeah even though we are clearly shown that it's not any of them um that is kind of interesting to me it's Uh, like i don't know why they wouldn't at least entertain that possibility um, so the my first time around, I didn't realize how early in the movie the twins sing songs about worshiping. Oh Black yeah, they just run around. Uh, and on the second rewatch, I was like, "Oh, that's just right there!" <laughs> like first, but, yeah, first twenty thirty minutes of the movie, it's right there. But you're not paying attention to it because it's like, oh, it's just kids singing an old the, the, like the, the, the <laughs> twins. That now that's a motif. Or, or a, a plot thread, if you will, that I can never quite figure out because it it seems to strongly imply that uh, the goat, Black Philip, really was the devil because they say the, the devil will take the form of a he-goat at times. Um, mm-hmm. And there is a strong implication that the children had been influenced by him what is not clear to me is how we're supposed to feel about that, how that would even happen, and why the devil would uh, want to target uh, them specifically. Uh, so can I go ahead and give my like thoughts on the in-lore reason everything in this movie yeah. happens? <laughs> uh, so um, the witch in the woods and her coven... Uh, obviously worship the devil sign his book that's a regular thing you'll even find that in mainstream stuff like the chilling adventures <laughs> of sabrina um and uh none of this starts happening until thomason comes of age there's a kind of throwaway line she got her uh, with william and kate yeah. uh that she has sh- uh, she's what, shown what, the sign of her womanhood. Shown signs of womanhood yeah uh, and none of this starts happening until then. So it sounds like when they got excommunicated, the witch started watching the family. They worship the devil who is in the form of Black Philip. Um, when Thomason comes of age, Black Philip influences the children to slowly cause the domino effect of all of this happening to get Thomason 
Yeah. yeah. It was a very involved plan, <laughs> but uh, it, to be fair, yes. it did end up working. <laughs> so that's my, that's my like rationalizing everything explanation for this entire. I think that that has to be it because um, it it doesn't really make sense otherwise. Um, I mean, I guess like if you're evil yeah. enough, a family could appear and you just want to want to fuck with them. But I I think. You are right, especially with tying that in, like, the pretty overt signs of, like, Thomason is a woman now. She's not a little girl anymore. And there, and that's also kind of evidenced with the way her parents are talking about essentially selling her off to another family so they don't have to feed her anymore. Um, like, basically, she's reached an age where she has to be something other than a little girl who's being cared for by her family. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> anything good. That doesn't necessarily mean she gets to be her own person. It, her fate's still going to be yeah. decided for her by someone else, um, whether it's her parents or, you know, the, the devil. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that, and honestly, that's why, like I, I said before, I think that the ending is pretty tragic, honestly, like, um, I know some people view it as, um, as kind of like an empowering thing. Um, but to me, it more seems like, <laughs> like a woman going from the control of her parents to the control of a man for lack of better, <laughs> for lack of a better way to uh, describe the, me, the Lord of all darkness. Um, <laughs> uh, let me, let me preface what I'm about to say as uh as totally being like a dumb uh straight white guy uh before i say <laughs> the statement but now i'm gonna say <laughs> the statement uh it is kind of mind-blowing to me um and heartbreaking to me that really like uh the two movies uh that i've seen a lot of women take uh like feel empowered by are the witch and yep, Midsummer? Nope. I have I have takes on that one too. Like the f- uh, the fact that those are the only things where we're like, hey, maybe the woman gets a happy ending, or like these dark, dark, <laughs> awful, terrible shit happens to everybody horror movies. No, yeah, it's kind <laughs> of like disheartening. <laughs> I see I see where they're coming from because there is something powerful about the image of the destructive woman, you know, like the like mm-hmm. the woman who has been forced into some form of darkness basically and gets either revenge or gets a twisted sort of empowerment. I under I definitely understand that. Um and in, of course in the case of Midsummer, which you know, we could also talk about forever. There, there is a little bit of the through line of you know like the whole do you feel held by him thing like where she doesn't she doesn't feel that connection with her boyfriend where she does in some twisted way feel it with the the cult because they actually share things and they have a sense of empathy the only thing is like it's still like <laughs> they still murder people so it's not like- yeah like <laughs> yeah uh, uh everyone everyone who wants a feminist icon go watch Xena. Uh, <laughs> yeah i think that's a that's a very different form that's more of an army of darkness form of empowerment that, that's 
That's why I said it. That's like my because I was thinking I was like I want women to have their Ash Williams, and I was like, oh wait, Zena. You know, from what I've heard about the remake of Suspiria, no, I haven't seen it. I've seen the original. I'm a fan. Um, what from what I've heard about the um the remake of Suspiria, actually, I think it has that sort of um dark destructive woman but more uplifting kind of ending um because she actually like has power and is not like subservient to a man or anything like that um she's essentially the embodiment of the goddess and uh is able to control her own fate and influence other people's as well um no i need to actually watch that movie <laughs> that's one of those <laughs> Me too. i've read a bunch of essays about it but i haven't actually watched it uh uh audience uh please sign off if you want a uh once a month side podcast where me and Seth oh i would movie. love to do that and caleb could sit there and be like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah he's still sitting there but uh, yeah, yeah. but anyway my main point was that was please hollywood and the indie circuit give your female leads uh empowerment through means that aren't just everyone has to die for a woman to be happy i mean that's what would make me happy but no just no but the thing is i think that the good thing about this movie is that i don't think it's trying to present it as happy fun time female empowerment i think it's presenting it as um this was the only option left for her. So she does find a form of empowerment, a form of escape from a really repressive um, kind of existence. But part of the problem is that this was all that she had left. Like, this was all that was available for her. Like, and so it is tragic for well, that reason. She didn't just choose this because she felt like it. She chose it because her whole family was dead and she didn't have anything left. No. Uh, she's in the situation for two reasons. One, uh, the literal devil uh, stacked the mm-hmm. deck against her because he desired her in on uh, his team because she was a young mm-hmm. woman. And two, she wouldn't have been in that situation if it was not for uh, the actions of her parents, specifically her Right, and, and that's why um, it feels like a tragedy because it's like, you know, in your classic tragedies, you have the the main character, who is usually someone with some degree of power, um, has a tragic flaw, and hubris, the most classic tragic flaw, in this case, for the father. And then his actions and his bad decisions then ripple down and affect everyone who he has control over. And that's exactly what happens to Thomason. She, she is the last surviving character in someone else's tragedy. And, um, and yeah, and it's especially tragic because she pretty much goes from one patriarch to another. Like, it, it's not as if she's just going to be her own person now. She's still going to have to be subservient. And as we, we know by the end, all that's happened has been orchestrated by someone else. Like, she didn't make that happen. Uh, someone else did, and and now she's been kind of forced into a corner. Um, um, <laughs> so we're very obviously not going beat by beat. Yeah, no, no, feel free to, uh, to backtrack. Uh, 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 the scene um, where William 
one does a very fucked up thing and locks all of his children i know that scene messed me up the goat that he was told was yeah uh but the scene where he is in the rain chopping wood crying in such a good scene saying thank you he's been he's been too prideful it's his fault his family's in this situation literally eating dirt trying to plead with god to save his family but by then the tragedy in that is by then it's Mm -hmm. too late like he's already messed up and literally the next day his entire family except thomas and i am really glad you brought that up um yeah watching it around this uh, this time around i was like woof this hits really hard like because he Uh, clearly at this point knows what he's done and he knows that you know through his his uh sin of pride he he has put his family in a position that he now cannot extricate them from um you know he like that very last line that he says it is like please god i i have not damned my family and it's like whoa <laughs> that's rough like um and yeah and of course at that point you know it's it's too late and that's what's so tragic about it because maybe if he had had this realization sooner you know if he had realized his pridefulness and if he had thought to place his family first then then maybe things would not have gotten to this point but it it, yeah that scene was great and um what's his face really brought it um, and it's especially, um, it especially hits hard because Thomason is watching from the barn and he doesn't know this, but you, you see that close up on her eyes, like, um, and <laughs> she's, we can infer that she's pretty, pretty horrified and pretty, uh, heartbroken by everything that's happened. And, and she clearly feels like empathy for him is also, it's sad. Like I, I liked kind of their relationship that was sort of. Um, tracked over the course of the film because it was so complex like it, it was kind of back and forth but there was it it was pretty clear there was a real love between them that was kind of being shredded sort of um yeah uh so uh if we want to go back and talk about stuff we can but like uh now that we're yeah we, we just like, skipped so straight much. to the end uh uh, uh, uh before I say what I'm gonna, what I wanted to say here about, uh, for me, what was one of the most heart wrenching parts of, in the movie, uh, uh, we talked about how good all of the performances were, especially for child actors. I want to give uh, Harvey Scrimshaw a shout out. He oh, played yeah. Caleb. The scene where he is possessed and is about to yep. die. That that scene where that he's scene is his crazy to Christ, trying to save his soul before he goes is phenomenal i know i was like Uh, y'all are gonna make that little 12 year old do this you have a good (laughs) i know i know (laughs) he was really he was really bringing it that scene is intense too like that i i can't even i don't even know if there he was like quoting scripture or or something i think a lot of it was scripture but um just it was just vague religious painful garbled stuff yeah it Oh, yeah, that one was intense. And that was the point where it was pretty clear that, like, some wild shit was happening. <laughs> like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, coughing up the apple and everything. Uh, oh, my God. He, like, 
Harvey, please have a career. (laughs) No, he did so so good, good. and I really liked that character. Like, such a weirdly nuanced uh, character for, like, a a preteen boy to have in a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I really liked what was done with him and, like, how he also had his little little sin, quote-unquote, because he... (laughs) Like, obviously, it's kind of one of the fucked up aspects, but it's also kind of sad is, like, you know, he's, like, obviously, like, looking at his sister um, and is experiencing the onset of puberty, and there is pretty much no one his age there. And so, like, as he's getting these weird feelings, the only the only place he has to direct them to until, of course, he meets the the titular witch is, um, is his sister. And, like... It's yeah. clearly like fucking with him, um, and he does express some some of his own like re- uh, religious doubts, religious torments, um, and it's it's really sad because like with both him and Thomason, like they're both experiencing puberty and they're they're both like growing into adults, but they're in such a a paranoid, isolated environment that they don't have any healthy way of like actually of actually growing through that um yeah the, god this Anna, movie is just it's like, packed man hey you trying to you're trying to feel things get ready <laughs> to feel things. It's rough. <laughs> it, it really is and it uh most of of the characters get a really sympathetic uh portrayal i i wish that the um the little twins had gotten a little bit more because i think it's very easy to just be like crazy little bewitched hellion kiddos but like even that i think you get glimpses of like these are actually just small children who are just trying to be children and are being like battered every which way by by the the forces around them whether that's their parents or well, it's or like Phillip. you can't fault the kids because i'm imagining being five years old and one of my farm animals <laughs> Like I own a farm. Why did I say one of my? <laughs> what are my hypothetical? Farm and animals? a farm animal, uh, and a farm animal yeah. talking to me. I'm gonna be. Oh all yeah, about yeah. It. I'd be like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Please say more words. I'm not gonna realize it's the devil. I'm be like, no, this is of a talking not. goat rad. Right, and it's it's just so sad at times because like just the way that like the harshness with which their their parents respond to them when there is suspicion on them, like, um when it like god like that part near the end when they they kind of have fallen into their weird little trance and and the dad is freaking out so much he 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 grabs the little boy and he's like i will smite him like abraham with with isaac and it was like what oh my god (laughs) and that's the moment the kid i know i just started screaming because you know his dad picked him up and is and is yelling at him like this is terrifying not only yelling at yeah, him, saying, going I'm going you. to kill yeah, him. It, Jesus. Because that's what God wants right. me to do. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, that's right before the, the barn scene where he locks them all in the barn. And it is, honestly, that's also a sad moment is when, when Thomason and the, the two little twins are are all locked up in the barn by their, their father. And they're sitting there staring at each other. And thomason asks them like are you witches and i think it's the little boy that says does father think i am or something like that and it's so sad it's just like jesus christ like 
these are obviously like little kids and you know whether or not they have been influenced by by you know the dark forces it's clearly they don't understand what's going on and like yeah it's Um, just really so uh, there's still a lot to talk about so i'm just gonna like yeah there's we can't get through Um, all of it i acknowledge uh, so william locks the kids in the barn uh in the scene where they're in the barn it's revealed that the witch is in there too scary uh when the father (laughs) when the father wakes up uh the barn is destroyed the children are missing presumed dead thomason's there and as he's going to check on things black philip gores him gets me every time uh and then uh he grabs the axe to kill black philip but isn't strong enough and also i love that he grabbed the axe in like a two scenes removed from where thomas and yep. told him all he's good and at then he literally wood. like falls into the wood pile and, and like the wood falls on top of him and it's like so much for all your your efforts you know <laughs> so uh yeah look uh, look on my works you salt know, you, in the i wound. know that <laughs> Um, yeah, that part is rough. So this is, uh, this is where one of the most heartbreaking moments in the movie ha- uh, happens, and that's when uh, Catherine, Whew. the mother, uh, finds Thomas and blames her for everything, starts attacking her, and is killing her daughter. And just what's heartbreaking for me is the scene where she's choking Thomason, and Thomason is just I saying, know. "I love you, so I love sad. you, I love you." I'm just like, oh. Yeah, even when she's heart, first coming at her, she's just like, fight or flight daughter, kicks like, in. I, I, I wouldn't do this. Like, Ugh. please, you're my mother. Like, it, it, it's too uh, late. Like, my know. whole heart. I'm too I know, it's awful. It. It's, I'm such a baby. <laughs> it uh. really, it, and there's that moment, too, while she's like, even as the mother is like screaming at her and like railing about how she seduced her brother and she was going to seduce her father next and all that. Like there's that moment where they both like stop and they're just crying and like their their heads lean in and like their foreheads kind of touch for a second like they're both Ugh. just like and they're both just sobbing and it looks for a second like maybe like they'll kind of break down and 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 like the mom will relent and like understand that like that's all they have left now is each other but then nope she's just too too that's far when away. the choking yep. starts <laughs> yep. Uh, so Thomason's fight or flight kicks in. She whacks her mother with, uh, I don't know the exact term, I'm just going to call it a yeah. farming knife. Yeah, uh, whatever it is. Uh, which, causes, which causes another brief pause as her mom's blood oh, is Oh, that's a fun part. Yeah, face, too. Just literally likes... just blood. Just... Yeah. Uh, which causes her mom to scream and choke her harder, which Thomason just takes for a while until she's about to die then she knifes her mom it's very it reminds that part that whole thing reminds me of carrie a lot of like the the ending of carrie with her and her mom uh with like you know the 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 religiously crazed mother who's who's really drunk the kool-aid uh basically trying to to kill the daughter um and and to me that in that in the case of carrie and also in the case of um of the witch it it seems almost like representative of like Thomason killing the woman she could have become like that's like rejecting that that path for herself like I mean obviously (laughs) if she hadn't done it she would have just died but (laughs) but it's also like a very symbolic thing like just as a a man or boy killing his father is usually a pretty significant thing uh mythically 
Um, in this case, it's like in killing her mother, she is killing that part of herself that might have gone on to be devout and to be like a religious fundamentalist and that might have been the good Puritan, you know, that her mother was. So in yeah. basically she cannot be that. Like to be that would have been to die. Like so yeah. Oh. <laughs> the theme. The theme. I, know. I like how with the other two we were no. just like it's a pretty good movie. And then with this one we're like <laughs> That's gonna be a shirt. Uh, look for it at our eventual merch store. It's going to be bloody font that just says the themes exclamation mark. <laughs> Honestly, it's like me screaming as, as lightning crashes down. <laughs> like, it's a lot. But instead, I'm just like, yeah, no, it's also great. So, <laughs> so after all of that happens, her family's dead. Uh, Thomason, uh, he yells at Black Phillip, asking it to speak to her. Uh, surprise! The devil. <laughs> it's just the uh, straight devil. <laughs> and she signs her name in the book, goes into the woods, and floats Hell naked yeah. around a fire. As you do when you party hard. <laughs> uh, no, I do really like that whole scene because it's like... Um, it's kind of the coda at the end. Like, after the, the climax, quote-unquote, has happened... Uh, basically that everything from that point on is really i don't know i really like it It has that really uh kind of freaky mystical quality about it that i always really enjoy um the uh (laughs) especially because like when you look at it from thomason's perspective she's still not completely certain that like when she speaks to the goat that it's actually going to be you know something or someone that will answer her um, but that's kind of her only option is th- at this point. So it's almost like she's kind of hoping that he will answer. Um, and his voice is really sexy. I gotta say, like, wow, he, that guy nailed it. I have no idea who it was, but <laughs> he, he brought it. Um, yeah, I don't know the actor's name. You definitely don't see his you. face. You just see like very <laughs> vaguely like a pair of boots like walking around. Um, so I guess we're meant to infer that he did actually take the shape of a man eventually. Um, but then by the time she's yeah. walking to the, um, I don't know, the party, <laughs> he's back in the shape of a goat. Um, so that part's interesting because it also shows, like, there's, like, a lot of witches there. Like, there's multiple. So it's, like, which is kind of why I was questioning earlier, like, was it the same witch the whole time? Who was in the woods? Were there multiples? Like, what exactly was going on with that? Don't really know. Don't I guess it's like their local chapter. <laughs> like maybe if you go far enough away, there's a different one. Um, yeah, be coveting. <laughs> yeah, they don't really acknowledge her, but she's kind of like, yeah, well, I'm just gonna party anyway, <laughs> and starts like floating with the rest of them. Well, uh, so it, it just so happens that the day she joins them is when they're holding yeah that must yeah you're right so it's like it's very it feels very planned like they were Mm -hmm. expecting her yeah that's a that's a very good point i don't know my my witchy lore that well but i think you're right it must have been like a black sabbath um and um yeah they yeah and maybe the fact that they didn't acknowledge her meant that they pretty much were expecting her to be there so they just kind of kept going about business as usual Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so f- I mean, if you're naked and floating above a fire, <laughs> there's not much that's going to distract you. From you have that. bigger things to worry about. You're just like, oh, one more naked chick, I don't care, <laughs> whatever. But 
oh welcome yeah. <laughs> punch in the back <laughs> right which honestly leads me to believe like what's it gonna be like for this poor girl now like is she gonna are, are they gonna be her friends are is she gonna go up to one of them after the party's over and be like listen bitch d- did you kidnap my brother because i got blamed for that <laughs> like it's i, I <laughs> yeah, you know i would really i would love to see a is. campy sequel to it where um <laughs> it's like that's like the craft um where it's like all the witches and their petty squabbles and they have to fight each other um <laughs> but but yeah um great ending so uh uh i guess final thoughts uh yeah watch this movie yeah. it is a it is a horror classic um I I put it up there with like Rosemary's oh, Baby uh, for yeah. like uh, horror. I haven't. I know it seems like the kind of movie I need to watch. Um, I know. Uh, it it is it is very much in that vein of film and does a does a damn. Yeah, I always love a, a horror movie that that genuinely engages with uh with religious themes and, and um religious beliefs because there's a lot of. <laughs> You know, there there's a lot of material to mine there for horror because, in some ways, religion, especially religious fundamentalism, is is rife with it. Um, you know, and that's why I love movies like The Omen, The Exorcist, uh, which now that I say them, it definitely are movies I I should watch Rosemary's Baby if I like them. But um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and it's it feels like like this movie really took the time to understand this type of religious belief and engage with it. But, you know, obviously in a way that's very aware of kind of the, the very dark side of it, um, you know, which I have a lot of appreciation for because um, obviously, you know, a lot of movies will just kind of adopt the aesthetic of religion, but won't really engage with the ideas but but if if you do engage with the ideas, there is a lot there that is genuinely frightening and um and and you know as we know can lead people to do as much harm if not more than they do good <laughs> often um yeah like and I I really like to see that especially in a way that gives a pretty uh, a pretty compelling uh what feels like a pretty accurate snapshot of a of a point in time when that very much held sway over people like not just on an individual level but on like a a systemic level um like it was that or nothing a lot of times so um so yeah just a really great movie definitely one of one of my favorites for sure i mean i i like a bunch of a24 stuff unsurprisingly um for me it was it (laughs) It was between this one and It Follows because It Follows is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but I feel like uh, The Witch, I could more clearly articulate the themes and and, and uh, discuss them in relation to the movie. It Follows could be a little more vague, a little more up for interpretation. Uh, but but The Witch is very much like, yeah, this is what's it, what it's about. Like, um, Generally speaking. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about It Follows on that bonus podcast if the audience Oh, I can't wait to talk about that one. Like I said, also love that one. Um, But but yeah. Uh, Yeah, this... I I could talk about this movie forever, but I am pretty tired. And um, (laughs) I don't want to think about depressing stuff anymore. No, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah, uh, my... 
my final thoughts just just watch it um yeah it's, it's very great. good uh just be ready to feel things oh yeah um i do really want to uh Really quick, I do want to mention, um, so believe it or not, Army of Darkness is not the lowest budget film we watched today. The Witch was made for $4 really? million. Dollars. That is wild to um, me. I'm going to chalk that up, uh, uh, The Witch versus Army of Darkness, in terms of like uh, quality of effects, uh, scope, scale, it, yeah. time... Uh, all have a lot to do the with witch it. The witch only um, has a few actors who are on screen for more than a few seconds. Like, it's basically just the family, and they're it, basically uh, just on the farm and in the woods. And uh, much less uh, visual effects yeah. and everything. But the, uh, the point I want to get across is, uh, and this is actually professional advice I've gotten as a filmmaker, is if you have an idea, write the script worry about budget later uh the money will sort itself out don't compromise your vision just make try to make a good movie um also uh images that will stick with me forever uh from this film are uh caleb's possession scene uh the dog being Mm, gutted in the woods rest in peace uh, and the crow. Oh yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, suckling from the yeah, we didn't even talk about teat. that one. It's pretty straightforward, but but yeah, that was a, that was fun. It's just a it's a terrifying breastfeeding image in my right. She's laughing as a crow is just pecking yep. away at her. Was that like the witch's familiar uh, or something? I've always kind of wondered about that. I don't know exactly what was going on there. Well, see, I I don't know if the crows were familiar. And she's the rabbit, or if the rabbit's oh, her that, familiar. That's true. There's all kinds of ra- man. I don't <laughs> see that part who is knows? less clear to me. The the crow and the rabbit because it's pretty clear who the goat is. But in the case of yeah, the other two yeah. animals, not really clear. I don't know. Let us know who you think the crow. <laughs> Maybe and the they were all are. different witches. Who's to say? <laughs> it's taking the form of. Aren't we all crows and rabbits in our? Hey, own that mind? that crow just wanted to see some titties. I mean, you know. <laughs> you can, you do what you can out there in the wilderness. Uh. Oh Stephanie, twenty twenty. Uh, uh, so our question for the week: very, very relaxed as this episode was until we talked about the witch. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite movie to watch around Halloween time? Let us know at our social media. We are on Twitter at Sounds Familiar. Uh, my name's Justin Butler. You can find me personally on Twitter at Blame It On Butler. My name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter at actual underscore Caleb. And my name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph Has No Name. And on right, Letterboxed at Raise oh. Left Boo. Sorry, forgot that one. Ah, uh, yes, it's not an episode unless we get that. <laughs> unless out you have to make me say that. <laughs> yep. Yep, we know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We are so happy to be back. We hope oh, yeah. you're having a fantastic October. We will see you next week. I love you. Hail to the king, baby. <laughs> Peace, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at Sounds Familiar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at soundsfamiliar at gmail.com. 
We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Be sure to check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.